My name is Chris White and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast where we are going back in the time machine to June of 2001 to cover all things WWF. Joining me we have Eric Landstrom. Eric, how are we doing? Doing well. Good to be back on the show. WCW got here just in time for WCW to show up back on the scene. Yeah, I mean, we've both had a a few months off. Uh, Hope you're feeling suitably refreshed after the last few years that have certainly put you through a bit of a ringer. And I hope uh, WrestleMania 17 plus a couple of months rest might have uh, done you some good and we're feeling good to tackle the rest of 2001 WWF and all things invasion. Well, low that I haven't been heard on the show, I have been paying attention. I have some thoughts and I do think uh, the uh, cable satellite service that they have on the WWF cruise so that I could keep up with Raw and SmackDown and the pay-per-views while I was sailing the seven seas with the blue cage and uh, the Bastion Booger. Right. So I've got a couple of uh, news notes here that I'll quickly take us through. And after each one, I'll come to you for sort of a comment. We can discuss them as much or as little as we sort of uh, feel the need to. Uh, the first big one that we'll talk to in terms of uh, talk about in terms of its TV content, uh, later in the show but will be the continuation of this wcw invasion that's been brewing and finally kind of started to kick off at the end of the month so following on from lance storm appearing on wwf tv last month there was more wcw talent that appeared throughout june this included booker t diamond dallas page and mike awesome um 
Shane promised to run Vince and the WWF out of business. And uh, we had some big news um, sort of being reported uh, in the dirt sheets by the end of the month that uh, Vince may in fact be planning on rebranding the flagship Monday night show to WCW Raw. Vince said, Vince is said to believe that WWF versus WCW uh, will have to be promoted as both sides being able to sort of be on an equal footing basically both need to be able to generate successful revenue streams both need to have good merchandising ticket selling both have to have strong pay-per-view and he wants what the wwf currently has for wcw as well under his umbrella reports are the change could happen as soon as a few weeks after uh, July's invasion pay-per-view with the idea, idea being that Shane will somehow eventually get control of Raw and it will be sort of the big prize that really signifies that in the end Vince McMahon in storyline did lose the all-important Monday Night War but not to Ted Turner but instead to Shane McMahon theoretically establishing uh, WCW almost as sort of the big players if we were to have a solo, solo WCW Monday Night show branded as Raw and uh, with WCW and Shane having taken the vin- the thing that meant the most to Vince sort of away from him. Um, so finally, things have started to kick off and it looks like they've got some pretty massive plans in terms of shaking things up for WCW in the future, Eric. Yeah, uh, I think that we kind of see the direction this is going to go. Uh, like you mentioned, the very end of May, uh, Lance Storm, oh, the smallest bullets, uh, beginning the, the the greatest wars, I suppose. No, I don't mean to I don't mean to denigrate Lance, but like they're definitely easing into this. It's almost the equivalent of a, of a movie getting a slow rollout instead of just a big opening weekend. Um, maybe the WWF is feeling this out. I don't know, but they definitely have plans to take this forward. I mean, the the, the July pay per view is called Invasion. Uh, we've seen now Booker T, Mike Awesome, like you said. Uh, kind of a, hopefully an increasingly star-studded list of people showing up. DDP is here, but he doesn't appear to be affiliated with Shane or this, you know, invasion angle per se. Maybe they'll bring those together once DDP resolves his issue with The Undertaker. Uh, I think as far as now, now, Chris, stop me if, if any of this is in your in your future notes, but there's two things that concern me about this this angle. One is that there, there doesn't appear to be a whole bunch of star power coming in, at least immediately. Um, I saw at least in the torch that guys like Nash and Hall aren't going to come in until at least early 2002. Uh, Sting's, we're probably never going to see, see Sting um, because he's going to get paid to stay home for a couple of years uh, off his Time Warner contract. Ric Flair is another guy um, we're not going to see for a while if he were to come over at all um, due to the same Time Warner contract issues. Basically, if you felt if you paid up uh, paid attention to our WCW shows. The issue was always going to be that these top guys that WWF would want to kickstart their WCW brand are all guys under Time Warner contracts who have no incentive to take early buyouts for pennies on the dollar. They can sit home, get healthy, and get paid probably three or four times as much as they'd make on their WWF downside. So, yeah, maybe the WWF is doing this slow kind of rollout to establish some guys that they can bring in like a Hugh Morris, like a Lance Storm, like a Mike Awesome as relative equals. Uh, I mean, we know that the WWF assumes that its audience doesn't know who these WCW guys are. So maybe the WWF thinks in their hubris, 
Well, we'll present Booker T. We'll present Mike Austin. We'll present present Lance Storm. Eventually, DDP. Maybe Scott Steiner if he can come in. Buff Bagwell. Um, we'll see. Maybe the WWF thinks that we can present these guys as stars, and therefore they will be stars. Um, and again, Chris, stop me if I'm if I'm stepping on your notes here. But the other thing to keep in mind here is that the WWF is being forced into this angle because they were going to have their own unique. WCW show. It was going to be on TNN or one of the Viacom uh, networks. And Viacom basically said, no, we don't want a WCW show on any of our networks. And because of all the issues with WWF and Viacom and the whole WCW purchase initially, WWF will not go outside of Viacom to put WCW on another uh, platform, another network. So the WWF did not want to run this angle. The WWF wanted to stick WCW on Saturday nights and probably build it as a, you know, secondary or tertiary brand where they could develop these stars and then probably, frankly, bring them to Raw and SmackDown. But that's not happening. And so now we get Booker T and Lance Storm and Mike Awesome versus Steve Austin and Kurt Angle. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but it's definitely going to be an interesting couple of months. To that end, do we think the idea of rebranding sort of the flagship show in in raw to being wcw is like it's definitely a calculated risk but is it if if they're unable to get a a smaller tv deal branded wcw elsewhere turning your one of your biggest properties into wcw branding in your historically most solid tv slot to me, is almost like a reckless risk. Really? I, I don't think I, I, I don't think that I, I can't fathom. Um, and, and Chris, I don't know if this has come up on the show before or not. Maybe it's on the WCW side, but I can't fathom Vince McMahon allowing anything that he's created to be associated favorably with WCW. I just can't. Like it's it's Vince McMahon. It's like for a year I've been talking about how. Don't assume anything about WCW if the WWF were to purchase it, because Vince McMahon's motivated by money, but his primary motivation is winning, and his primary motivation is hubris. And, you know, if it costs him money to keep WCW as a clear secondary brand to the WWF, I think he'll, I think I have always maintained that that's what he would do. Um, So I, I, I would be, and maybe I'll be eating crow in a couple of months when we come back and we're reviewing WCW Raw, or maybe they even rebranded it to Nitro, and then we have WWF on Thursdays. Maybe I, I don't know what you do with SmackDown. Like I think SmackDown has more average viewers than Raw just because of the nature of the, the broadcast, but it's certainly not a the main show. Um, I it sounds great, and it sounds like you can go on any forum and and you know and hear the speculation. It's almost just like you know, this more utopia version of the world of pro wrestling in 2001 with one company basically running everything. I don't think that Vince McMahon has utopia on the brain when it comes to his affiliation and ownership of WCW, though. I, I don't see it. I, I would. I, I don't know why they don't turn Heat into WCW into a WCW show. Like, make Heat your one-hour-a-week WCW show where you can put guys like Lance Storm and Mike Awesome and they're on MTV, so you can skew a little younger and do some cross-branding. And maybe you make WCW your like hip brand that appeals to a younger crowd, and then that crowd eventually ages into you know the more mature WWF. I don't know, but 
I wouldn't turn Raw or SmackDown into a WCW property. I don't think that I don't think that's going to work. And I don't think Vince will do it at the end of the day. The other element of this that kind of is worth discussing is, as you alluded to, Lance Storm isn't really the biggest of names, and and of the guys we've seen so far, um, with DDP isn't involved in this storyline at all, um, as of yet, um, and it, it seems like a lot of the guys that they maybe have some interest in maybe coming in you've already gone for a few names but but two of the big ones in in goldberg and rick flair um that wwf has said to have a high level of interest in both of them but they just look like it will be so unlikely in terms of being able to make deals with these guys anytime soon because there's just no incentive for them to just not sit out and collect their money and uh wwf will have to buy out these deals and at a potential great cost but if um their deals <laughs> i mean it depends how you look at this if the, if the deals are seen as significant factors into sort of either making or breaking this new wcw venture then they're they're a small price to pay but if the wwf consider that they can make a real go of whatever they have planned for the invasion and WCW long-term, um, then maybe you don't need to incur the financial penalty of bringing these guys in, regardless of what they would do for the credibility of a new look WCW. Um, I mean, if Shane was to bring in Goldberg under his uh, watch at some point, like, and then you think of the matches that you could have sort of cross brands between WCW's Goldberg and WWF Stone Cold Steve Austin. Is that on pay-per-view alone worth looking at buying out that contract? And by the sounds of things um, at the moment, um, these deals are quite far away from being made and may never be made. And the WWF doesn't seem to feel that the cost of making these deals is worth it to them. No, and specifically for Goldberg, I think it was in the torch. Um, I think it was for June um, that may have been May, but I think June that the, the, the kind of the cost benefit on Goldberg in terms of what his buyout would be for, you know, the, getting him to agree to a buyout from Time Warner and then what it would cost to put him on a WWF downside kind of versus his reputation as a difficult personality backstage, as well as his willingness to like work house shows and work with WWF schedule. Like nobody perceives that he would be willing to do that. So at least as far as Goldberg goes, it doesn't sound like that. It sounds like there's a wide chasm between the WWF's perception of him and his worth, you know, versus what Goldberg believes he can bring to the table on a limited basis. I think Ric Flair if I'm any major league wrestling organization and Ric Flair is out there to be signed up, how can you not? He's probably not an in-ring guy anymore. I mean, maybe you could stick him in the odd tag here and there, six man. You know, it sounds weird to say it, but, you know, Ric Flair could segue into like a top managerial role, almost how Harley Race was to a Vader, and then take those bumps and, you know, that kind of thing. Or put him in a in a commissioner role. You know, I know we have enough authority figures, but Regal's been great. And Foley was great, and I don't see any reason why Ric Flair couldn't be great in that role. And again, on a limited basis with physicality, um, or just 
put him on TV with guys you're trying to get over because people will say, hey, look, there's Ric Flair with this guy. You know, that means something. So uh, I think you, I, I would be shocked if Ric Flair is not soon in the WWF unless he's just really motivated to take some time off for the first time probably since his back injury in 1974 <laughs> and make a little money and maybe heal up and see if he can have another, you know, in the ring run because he didn't look all that great at the end of WCW, um, but I don't think he was motivated to. So, you know, depending on what Ric Flair wants to do, I think that's what will tell the tale with Goldberg. I don't know that we're going to see him in the WWF until, you know, one side, you know, blinks. And I don't see Vince McMahon blinking on a property like that, that he didn't create that wants that much money. And secondly, um, kind of on a more downbeat note, we've got a lot of WWF injury woes to discuss as they're coming off the horrible injury suffered by Triple H at the back end of May. Um, More bad news on this front throughout June. Um, Chris Benoit had been working through some neck issues that were said to have first occurred at the TLC free match, um, but unfortunately aggravated the issue during the main event of King of the Ring and has since been diagnosed with having a uh, blocked nerve in his C7 vertebrae um, and he'll need to have um, some pretty serious neck surgery by all accounts uh, which will be in the coming weeks or days and uh, could be out for quite a long time there so with Hunter on the shelf for a while Benoit following suit Kurt Angle and Austin both came out of King of the Ring with injuries. Angle came out with a concussion, which is um, suspected of occurring during his first of three matches on the night. And oh. also a uh, broken, te- what that, what first was thought was a broken tailbone ended up being severely uh, bruised, but um, n- not quite broken, apparently, but still uh, keeping him a- out of action um, in the short term, at the very least, following a suplex on the concrete during his third match with Shane. And uh, yeah, Austin also taking some time out of the ring at the moment, having had suffered an, a hand injury uh, during the main event at King of the Ring following a surprise attack by Booker T. Uh, apparently avoided breaking it, but since the event, his hand is so swollen, he's basically been unable to work. Um, they are hoping to have both men back in the ring in time for the Invasion pay-per-view next month. And both of them still on TV, just not working in the ring for the mean uh, in the meantime another guy who we could see off tv for a while was eddie guerrero he was sent home ahead of the 4th of june uh raw taping due to back uh backstage unprofessional behavior so all things considered the last couple of months um some short some short term some long term but a few hits to the uh roster strength in the wwf Oh my gosh, we talked about like how WrestleMania 17 was like the deepest show we've ever seen in terms of, you had guys like Angle and Benoit who are now clearly main event guys in the third match on the show. I mean, Jericho opened the show and he was in the main event of King of the Ring. Like, and then you look at that roster and you see, oh, there's Triple H, gone. There's Benoit, gone. There's Angle, like not gone, but definitely banged up for sure. Austin seems like he's perpetually in a state of almost out but never like always just seems to avoid like that severe severe injury except for the one time owen dropped him on his head but austin i mean austin is like the the tin man at this point with all the hard work he has in and around his body and then yeah i mean then you get a guy like eddie guerrero who seems to be on the up with the rest of the radicals i mean you've seen what's happened with and i say radicals like jericho technically wasn't a radical but he's definitely part of that like group and so you see 
the Radicals plus Jericho, and now two out of the you know five of them are in the main event of a big five pay-per-view. Um, Saturn and Malenko are kind of what they are, but I don't think anybody ever considered them like the creams of the, the, the cream of that crop. And then you have Eddie Guerrero, who I think everybody agrees, if he could get his you know personal life in order, could be one of these guys like a Benoit, like a Jericho, a guy who's kind of slotted in that like B level upper mid card spot, just ready to, you know, have the rocket strapped to him as, as soon as Vince says go. Um, and unfortunately, it seems like he's never really been able to come together after that. What was it 99 or 2000, Chris? He had that, that pretty severe car accident. It seems like there's a pretty clear link between the pain medication issue, and that's what it is, pain medication issue, that he's had since then. And now the WWF has sent him to rehab. And as far as it is implied in the torch, basically, like this is a last ditch effort for Eddie Guerrero and it's it's crass to say but you know they fired Brian Christopher this month um for kind of the same thing the difference is Brian Christopher is kind of what he is I think they see Stara and Eddie Guerrero and so Eddie Guerrero is going to get another chance at this compound that with you know so the loss of a potential starring Eddie with the actual loss of Triple H Benoit and The Rock let's not forget about him since Mania and now you have Angle and Austin kind of riding a razor's edge. After that, you've got Undertaker and Kane, and then what do you have? So we see this injury and in the kind of the thinness of the upper card um, as the way that as the King of the Ring is structured, putting Kurt Angle in three matches. I mean, that's 95 Bret Hart. You know, we've got a two-hour in your house show and no wrestlers, so give Bret two matches. King of the Ring type thing, you know, give Bret three matches. Again, you know, we see this now when the roster is thin, you ride your horse extra. And we saw that with King of the Ring having Austin against two mid-carters in the main event and having Kurt Angle wrestle three times for probably a collective hour on the night. So it's a thin roster. And, you know, I, I have to think, Chris, and you, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, that the quality of the weekly programming has not suffered with with the absence of of all these guys. It's just been kind of the, the 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 match stature like the, the 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 quality of the upper card matches over the last six or eight weeks has not been what you would expect um but i think they're getting by just fine i, I just don't know how they can manage this whole invasion storyline without having their top guys around well that'll be interesting to see yeah um it's been a really great month of tv um pretty much um <laughs> on the back of Stone Cold Steve Austin. But I mean, there's a lot of good stuff on Raw and SmackDown every week. And it's probably the most I've enjoyed uh, overall the the television product since whatever month it was last year. Um, I can't, it was, it was almost a, exactly a year ago, maybe, maybe a bit less uh, the month me and Rory absolutely marveled at, um, the storylines being written by Chris Kresge before he was replaced ahead of No Mercy in October. And I think this has probably been the strongest um, period of WWF TV. So they're, they're getting through um, what are difficult circumstances and, and remain difficult circumstances in terms of the top of their roster. And I think, um, I mean, I've got a note about this um, sort of, when it comes to the king of the ring um how like you're sort of like second or third match on the show like average match between just two low mid carders or like a low mid card tag match on like a pay-per-view in 2001 is just so so much better than like 
the equivalent match almost at any point in the last five years in a WWF pay-per-view because the average sort of ability and to a degree like overness of people on the roster right from the top all the way till the lower echelons of the card is is just so much higher than it than it has been and like they've got a lot of talent in a lot of places and you don't have these like uh dud tag matches that are just terrible and like it, the mid carders can go in and, and work a good match on pay-per-view and give you six to eight minutes or whatever they have and and deliver so despite some difficult circumstances i think they're pulling through really well um and it looks like with the invasion kicking off at the end of the month that's a bit of fresh blood towards the top of the card in, in booker t at the very least who um we'll talk about him later in more detail but to me on the face of it is it and it is an exciting acquisition and someone that probably has a lot of potential and to have him pretty much paired right away with stone cold steve austin um could get some good stuff going out of that as we head into july and and further through the year so um it's been kind of a treacherous time but i think they're doing a good job of managing it so far yeah we're also seeing some really good stuff from people that i don't know would have any tv time you know if we had to have you know 10 minutes a week on raw for triple h and for the rock and for now for benoit and, and eddie uh, you know, I, we're, we'll talk about him. So I'll just hit it and, and, and move on to the next point. But like, I don't see Spike Dudley getting, you know, 20 minutes to open Raw with Triple H <laughs> around and with The Rock around. But he's doing an incredible job. And so is Molly. Their match was a little bit ropey at King of the Ring. And we'll talk about that. But it's really good to see somebody like X-Pot getting featured again in the ring. Um, and, and, and on that note, uh, Albert on Raw has been, you know, kind of this like quiet wrecking ball. And then I think Another guy who's really benefited in this like mid card position has been Rhino, who's just been incredible. Like this guy is this guy's a fucking monster, and I feel really vindicated voting for him as up and comer in 2000 because I think it's finally kind of manifesting into somebody that we're going to see around in that like upper mid card as this kind of like second to last boss for a long time, and that's really exciting to me because um, a lot of the ECW guys don't um, don't get that spot. Uh, and having Paul Paul Heyman there to call all of it too, especially with Spike and with Rhino, and seeing Taz get some more ring time, and then his guys Ben Juan Jericho. Like I think a lot in a lot of ways the WWF, I think in in the long term might benefit from having some of these other other guys gone, if they can catch a little heat with a Jeff Hardy, with a Rhino, with a Spike, that kind of thing, and carry that forward. Because suddenly then you have The Rock come back, you have Triple H come back, Ben Wall comes back, and then you have those guys plus rhino you know who's heated up and, and you can do something like that or a or an edge or a christian you know that kind of thing so we've seen this before where they have this glut of injuries or they have this kind of suddenly this really thin roster and the, as macho man says you know the cream will rise to the top and we're we are seeing some of that so would it have been nice to see the rock and triple h and those guys around to be mixed in with some of the stuff with austin sure but i think the tv's been so good um, and everybody stepped up to the plate so much that it's not really felt until you look at the card on paper. So on that note, um, I think we should start to discuss kind of the month that Stone Cold Steve Austin has had leading into King of the Ring. Uh, he came off, uh, came out of May, sorry, uh, having retained the title against Crispin Marr on the final episode of Raw of the Month. And he was scheduled to defend his title against Chris Jericho on the first Raw of June. 
Uh, he ended up having a match with uh, Mick Foley as a special guest referee, and Vince and Benoit were both banned from ringside. Regal eventually interferes, and it calls the mix-up, which saw Foley crack Jericho with a chair. Austin hits the stunner and retains his title. He was boasting about it later that week on SmackDown, saying he could beat both men, Jericho and Benoit, on the same night. And this would work against him as we had the return of Linda McMahon on the 11th uh, of June edition of Raw. Uh, and she booked the main event for King of the Ring, Austin versus Jericho versus Benoit. We had a great segment. I mean, we had dozens, literally dozens and dozens of great backstage segments with Austin this month. But one I sort of really made a note of here was from that episode where Austin later, he confronts Vince. He's absolutely furious at Vince for Linda having booked him in this triple threat match. Yeah, your stupid wife made a match at King of the Ring and Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Benoit and Jericho in a triple threat match. It's a conspiracy two-on-one, and I do not like it, and I hold you responsible. Steve, I don't know a damn thing I about think you do. I don't know a damn thing about this. Let's talk about it in the dressing room. Don't you walk away from me. Don't you dare me. Austin claims there's a conspiracy in the WWF against him and he's holding Vince responsible. Vince says Austin knows nothing about it and starts to walk off. Austin just grabs him by his jacket and pulls him back. Vince warns Austin not to walk away from me. Uh, and uh, the two have a very, very tense stare down before Austin just hugs Vince. The camera pans around and it just reveals this like crazy blank expression on uh Austin's face and uh, like it, it I mean there's more to talk about and more things that we'll get into but before we kind of bring Spike and Molly into it and really sort of from there pivot back to Jericho and Benoit and King of the Ring um, just the early build to King of the Ring and just Austin's heel character um, how have you been finding it throughout the month I think this has been the absolute best Austin has been character-wise since 96 into 97. Um, he's incredible. And every episode of Raw and every episode of SmackDown is squarely placed on his shoulders. And he's wrestling too much, and he's probably featured too much, and he's mixed in with kind of everybody. But we just spent 10 minutes talking about why. I mean, he's the only guy they have left right now. And I got to tell you, he's crushing it. I was so dubious after X7 as to where this was going to go. Like, Austin turned heel and linked up with McMahon. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, I can't believe this. And we were, I think all of us were rightfully really skeptical uh, about it. Some of us were more optimistic than others. But I don't think there was a person on the show that was like, yep, this is exactly what I would have done. And this is the obvious move. And this is perfect. And everybody would obviously do this. Uh, so. And I said that I would withhold my rating on that show. And I still think I'm going to do that. But, like, I have been wildly impressed with Steve Austin as this unhinged lunatic. And I think what we're seeing now is this kind of explanation that it wasn't Austin turning heel and linking up with McMahon. 
it was Austin crumbling under the weight of being the top guy in the WWF and either while he's champion, having everybody come at him, um, which he's playing out again this month with Benoit and Jericho, kind of, you know, two young guys with a little bit of momentum and a little bit of fire coming at him. And, and then, or when he's chasing the belt, like that's, it consumes him because all his fans want him to do is win the belt. So we have this Austin who's not necessarily a heel linked up with McMahon to be buddy, buddy and take over the world. It's, this heel, it's this Austin character who's neither really a heel nor a face. He's more of a heel than he was, but he's really just this guy who's unhinged and crumbling under the weight of the pressure of being a world champion and having everybody, you know, at his at his heels constantly. And, man, when he hugged Vince, it looked like he was trying to, like, suck his soul out of him. Like, it is, I mean, it's incredible. It's, it's the same Austin character, but... It, on one hand, but on the other hand, it's completely different. And his facials. I mean, wrestlers aren't necessarily known as great actors. And I don't, I wouldn't think Steve Austin, you know, could carry his own in a Hollywood movie or anything like that. But, and this is going to get me killed by, you know, your, your old school guys. But like, as far as acting on wrestling shows go, like, is there anybody, anybody better that you can think of than Austin? His facials are incredible. His timing is incredible. His delivery is incredible. And oftentimes it's really shitty material that he's given. Um, and he can interact with anybody. We see it, you know, throughout the month with Tajiri, with Spike. We'll talk about that again. But up and down the card. I mean, there was an entire episode of SmackDown where Austin just interacted with everybody trying to get him to sign this petition. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, this, he's, it's just incredible. And, like, I don't know if anybody's ever wrapped up MVP this early in the year but like if anybody's going to take an mvp award from austin at this point i'll be very surprised like he's been that good and i am you know i am prepared to admit that like they have pulled this off somehow especially and it's especially impressive in light of you don't have your guys around like triple h to you know act as austin's eventual foil or you know the roster's so thin and he's still doing it man and he's so fucking good it is easy to forget about austin after the 2000 that he had um being out the rikishi thing i mean they really they really cooled him off and he's just back and it's awesome yeah i think it's just a testament to how talented he is and i i'm completely with you i think it's some of the best acting i've ever seen on a wrestling show is this basically every time austin's on tv this month and backstage his delivery is brilliant um and yeah uh, really has carried this month of programming just firmly almost single-handedly with everyone around him rotated in and out as needed but just mm-hmm. him at the center of the heart of all of it and uh it's been so good and i, I want to pick up on the uh that smackdown um where Austin's going around with a petition uh, and he's trying to get Linda to cancel the King of the Ring main event. And we get vignettes throughout the show of him getting those signatures backstage. And eventually he runs into Spike and Molly, um, which is where uh, things sort of take a turn for, for those guys. Molly, I just want you to know these last few weeks have been great. I have never been this happy. I know, I've never felt this way before. I'm just going to have a good time and keep this going. Yeah, I think it's too much. Oh, isn't this special? <laughs> a two little lovebirds, huh? <laughs> Am I interrupting you? 
Huh? Not too much. Don't tell me you're scared of me. No. You know what I got going, don't you, Spike? You got a little petition going, don't you? You know exactly what's going on. You know what's going on? Um, petition? Never mind. I want you to sign it, Spike. I need every name on the site. Right there. It's King of the Ring deal. Put your little name, Spike. Okay. You sign it, your little bimbo girlfriend can oh. sign it too. Oh, what'd you just call her? Molly. She's a bimbo, and you heard? Hey, man, you can't go calling her a bimbo. <laughs> I call her anything I want. I'm Stone Cold Steve Austin. All I need you to do is sign the damn petition, Spike. She's a gold digger. Look at her. Well, I don't care what your name is. I don't care if you're Stone Cold Steve Austin. You can't talk about my girlfriend like that. Okay. No, you can't. I just did. Well, she's a petition. You're not talking about my girlfriend like that. Austin greets them backstage and he asks Spike to sign his petition uh, before asking his bimbo girlfriend to sign it as well. Spike takes exception, stands up to Austin and tells him that he can't call Molly that. Austin says he can call her anything he wants to. Spike tells Austin that he can't talk to his girlfriend like that. Austin laughs and calls Molly a tramp. Spike says he doesn't care who Austin is. You can't talk to Molly like that. Proceeds to rip up the petition. Spike and Molly take off. Austin is just stunned. Another example of uh, these like superb facial expressions. Just looks down at his just destroyed petition, just ready to snap. He demands a match against Spike for that night, puts his WWF title up, and it's official. And as expected, uh, the match doesn't go too long, but it's a very entertaining four-minute squash, effectively. Austin retains. In the end, uh, Benoit and Jericho have to make the save when it looks like Austin's going to attack Molly Holly with a chair. And it is that next episode of Raw uh, where we open with that sort of 20-minute Spike Dudley promo that you you mentioned. And he calls out Austin. uh, He's not standing for him going after Molly with a chair on SmackDown. Who the hell do you think you are? My name is Spike Dudley. Well, for the record, my name is Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I'm not about to let some $2 punk with a five-cent haircut call me out and challenge me to a title defense. Uh, Steve, I just did. What did you say? I said I just did. It, it, it ain't fair, Spike. It ain't fair. Look at you. Look at you. Now look at me. <laughs> it ain't fair, Spike. No, 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 no. Look at me again. Now look at him. Look at him. (laughs) It ain't fair. Well, let me put it to you like this. If you want to see Spike Dudley take on Stone Cold for the WWF title... Well, just give me a hell yeah! Well, you ain't getting no title match, you little bastard. 
Austin eventually comes out and he praises Spike for showing backbone when no one else in the back would be brave enough, but nonetheless still calls Molly a bimbo. Spike demands that Austin take his sit back. Molly tries to keep Spike uh, keep Scythe back and then turns and slaps Austin right in the face. Austin ponders it all and seems rather amused. He tells Spike that Spike won't be getting a title shot, but he has earned Austin's respect. He offers a handshake. The crowd warns Spike that it's probably going to be a trap, but Spike accepts and they shake hands without incident. Austin also decides to offer Molly a handshake and Molly moves in. Austin takes her out with the stunner. Austin departs uh, the ring. Spike tends to the fallen Molly and glares at Austin as he heads up the ramp. And uh, finally rounding off the whole sort of storyline, uh, heading into King of the Ring, uh, Austin would interfere in Benoit and Jericho defending their tag titles against the Dudleys, who had obviously had their own problems with uh, Spike and Molly heading into King of the Ring. He lays out Benoit with a belt shot and costs them the titles on Raw. The Dudleys are the tag team champions and they will be defending them against Spike and a mystery partner at King of the Ring. Sort of less Austin specific here, maybe like the Spike and Molly stuff and Austin stunning them and just generally into King of the Ring, how we got to the matches that we have on the show. How have you found the build to it all? I think the thing is like with Austin, you can kind of do whatever you want and then a week before, kind of just say, oh, and here's your opponent. Um, it's kind of what they did with, with Foley back in 98, right? I mean, it was three weeks ahead. But, um, I think the build's been really interesting because we obviously don't need Steve Austin to feud every week with Benoit and Jericho because Benoit and Jericho need something from Austin, but Austin doesn't need anything from Benoit and Jericho. So the feud is really Benoit and Jericho versus Austin and not the other way around until it becomes like a match that's set and they start to fuck with each other. But and what you see is it's Austin, like, kind of with this paranoia. Like, it makes sense that he would want to fight Spike Dudley after Spike tore up the petition. And then, but he did. And then he squashed him. And by the way, like, that's, it's hard to do, but that's how you put, like, your lowest card guy again. And Spike's not your lowest card guy per se, but, you know, he's, he's Spike Dudley. And the other guy, Steve Austin. I mean, look at him. And, and look at me. Uh, that, that promo is completely accurate. But my point is, like, you can still do this and give Spike the rub, but Austin has to has to kill him, and he did. But, I mean, theoretically, like, that's where it ends. And But then, you know, let's carry this forward because it worked. And sending Molly was just, like, an opportunity to show this unhinged Austin, but give kind of Spike and Molly this rub with Austin to say, you know, we at least have the confidence in you to hold your own in a segment with the best talker in the business. Um and I thought it was really cool because it allows you to show that, like, Austin is unhinged if it's Spike Dudley or he's unhinged if it's The Rock. It doesn't matter. Like, he's just a crazy lunatic and he sees everybody as kind of this equal threat um, that he has to that he has to neutralize. Um, and, yeah, I, I think all praise to Spike Dudley because he pulled it off perfectly as well. And I think that he's a guy that can another guy who can be around a long time and move up and down the card and show much like the Dudleys that he can interact with. Low card guys, mid card guys, and upper card guys, just as long as you need him there. He's never going to be world champion. He probably should never even be like intercontinental champion. Maybe he should be a manager, uh, but he can definitely, he's definitely a personality that, there that they can exploit now. And I think Vince from time to time, like maybe does this to like stress test guys. Like, because if I'm Vince and I look and I see I've got a roster full of guys, and even as thin as they are, I've got Spike Dudley. And I think, well, if Spike Dudley can't hold his own 
against our top guys, like why is, why do we even need him? Because he's not going to move the needle per se. But then you put him up against a guy like Austin, you put him in a program of, you know, four day mini feud and he holds his own and suddenly like Vince can say, okay, I've got something here with this guy. Um, and I think we're going to be seeing that a lot with this influx of guys, you know, um, but I thought it was really great. And I think it allowed kind of Benoit and Jericho to build their thing and, you know, towards Austin without just having them have like one-on-one matches and various forms and tag matches in various forms all month long. I mean, they did some of it on SmackDown and, you know, Benoit and Vince had an issue on SmackDown. So there was some crossover, but it wasn't just, you know, the feuds weren't just completely limited. Austin's kind of feuding with everybody. And I think putting Benoit and Jericho in that main event uh, slot allowed them to continue that momentum as well. I think it was really well done. Undertaker, like the diamond cutter, you never saw it coming. Now, those of you who know me are asking yourself the question, why? Why did I, why did Diamond Dallas Page go after The Undertaker like this? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you exactly why. Because if you want to make an impact in this business, you go after the biggest, the meanest, the baddest dog in the yard. And once you find that dog, if you want to get the very best of them, you make it personal. Real personal. And then, hey, you find that dog's weakness. Well, Taker, you are obviously that dog. And you've been telling people for years that this ring right here is your yard. We'll see. But up to a few weeks ago, Taker, you have never shown weakness. I mean, never shown weakness. That is, up until a few weeks ago, when you told Stone Cold Steve Austin that if he ever, ever messed with your family, you'd make him famous. Duh. Taker, you idiot. Stone Cold Steve Austin's already famous. But it did get me to thinking, good God. When you said what you said about your family, dead man, you didn't sound so dead. As a matter of fact, you sounded very alive and for you son that's a sign of weakness taker think about it remember when you used to say i've slept through things that make most people's hair turn gray remember that okay you didn't say it exactly like that but you remember that you also said you weren't afraid of anything Foul! I'm gonna call you on that right now. Taker, 
I'm calling you a liar. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I am. Because take a look at him now. He's running around his house, locking all the windows, locking the doors. I can just see him now calling Vince McMahon this morning. Mr. McMahon, I can't possibly come in and compete tonight. I can't leave my wife, Sarah. There's a madman. There's a stalker trying to get to my wife, Sarah. You're scared to death. How's it feel, son? I'll tell you what, there is a positive side to this. Diamond Dallas Page has made your wife, Sarah, famous. And speaking of famous, nobody, and I mean nobody, deserves to be more famous than the king of Bada Bing, the master of the diamond cutter. Nobody deserves to be more famous than B, D, D, P. Because my whole life, I've been wanting to be in this business, I was eight years old, my whole life people have been telling me, until you've been to the CSO, until you've been to the show, until you've been to the very top of our business, you're never really famous. So Taker, trust me, I'm using you to get to the top of this business. And you can take it to the bank. Whether I gotta buy a ticket or not, I will see you at King of the Ring. You got a problem with me? Cool. Taker, I'm begging you. Make me famous! <laughs> Good God, Paul. This WCW star has just impacted the entire industry. Big time, the invasion is on, and WCW has made one hell of an impact here on Raw tonight. Well, here comes some security and, and the stalker. One of the other big uh, sort of storylines on TV over the past few weeks um, led to one of the debuting WCW wrestlers this month. And it was, in fact, Diamond Dallas Page who uh, turned up on Raw and uh, introduced himself to the WWF audience. And uh, what a way he did it. Um, there had been a long running storyline where uh, the Undertaker's wife, Sarah, had had a stalker um, that night on raw um undertaker was in fact uh at home with his wife looking after her because she was obviously traumatized by what she'd been going through having a stalker the last few weeks um but on that night we got a another one of these stalker videos um a stalker was in tampa um but uh, uh, sorry, the Raw was in Tampa and the Stalker revealed that uh, he was in fact there uh, that night, um, but yesterday was with The Undertaker and Sarah. Uh, this time, um, the video showed him hiding in a garage, watching them climb into a truck to drive off. And the Stalker just suddenly revealed that tonight there's no more disguising their voice, hiding their face. They will reveal themselves in the ring and the world will find out who he is and why he's there. So later that night, uh, we hear The Undertaker's music and we know that he's not there. He is at home with his wife. The stalker comes out, stands in the ring and unmasks to reveal DDP. 
he actually gets a huge pop from the crowd, despite the uh, very evil thing that he's been doing to the Undertaker and his wife. DDP does the uh, diamond cut sign before he gets on the mic and cuts a promo for us. He tells Taker uh, he never he never saw it coming. DDP says that he did this because he wanted to make an impact, and the best way to do that is to go after the biggest dog in the yard. DDP mentions how Taker always called the ring his yard and never showed weakness, and that's until a few weeks ago when DDP. Uh, that's until a few weeks ago when uh, the undertaker threatened to make austin famous if he ever thought about messing with his family ddp says that taker claims to be fearless but he's been locking the doors uh, locking his doors and windows and stayed home with sarah and if anyone truly deserves to be famous it's him and he's going to use undertaker to get to the top of the business um DDP announces that he will be at King of the Ring, whether he needs a ticket or not, and dares the Undertaker Undertaker to come out and make him famous. Security finally comes out, but DDT heads over the barricade and into the crowd, disappearing after one more diamond cutter sign. So DDP reveals himself. He is the stalker. He wants the Undertaker to make him famous. And uh, that's it. He's here. He's on Raw. And uh, he's not involved in this Invasion storyline is not affiliated with Shane. He's just there uh, having been stalking the Undertaker's wife and uh, he wants to be famous, apparently. Eric, um, our WCW expert, obviously had a lot of exposure to DDP over the last few years. Um, what the hell did you make of all of this? My thought was that, like, I thought DDP was famous when he gave Scott Hall the diamond cutter in 1997 in front of 40,000 people in, I think it was Louisiana. Um, I I thought this was, I thought this was a well-delivered promo with awful content. Ultimate uh, Warrior-esque in the level of delivery, which was great uh, by DDP, who's become an excellent promo over the last five years. But if you listen to the words he was saying, they're preposterous. I want to be famous. I saw what you said to Stone Cold Steve Austin, but it doesn't apply to Stone Cold Steve Austin because he's already famous. So I'm going to do the thing you said to Stone Cold Steve Austin, who's already famous, to make him famous, to then become famous. Although to everybody watching the show, I'm already famous. (laughs) And we have Diamond Dallas Page, who basically started his career 10 years ago as an absolute twat manager, developed into a serviceable wrestler, an above average, you know, if not at times great promo, um, who has this weird, unique, hard to explain connection with the fans. Who is always, you know, as soon as they put, you know, DDP the People's Champion over Macho Man and stopped with all the gimmicks and the smokes and the diamonds and the jewelry and Kimberly and the big checks and the max muscle. Like basically DDP in a pair of black trunks, diamond cutting people and, you know, winning matches that people thought he had no chance to win. That's DDP. And what DDP is not and what nobody assumes DDP to be and what nobody wants to see DDP be is a stalker. And I know he's not saying he's a stalker because he was a stalker. He's saying he's a stalker. He's saying he's a stalker because he wants to be famous. But that's dumb because he's already famous. Elsewise, why would he be given time on fucking television at all? Like, we can't. We're past this point where we have to assume the audience knows nothing. 
Right. And this, I think this gives credence to my thoughts earlier about Vince, which is he's going to assume that his audience, 70% of which probably has watched WCW in some, you know, regular manner over the years. I'm going to assume my audience does not know who any of these people are. So I'm going to, they're going to basically debut as moldable mounds of clay. And it's like, no, he's, he should debut as Diamond Dallas Page and probably be a strong upper mid Carter who can go against Austin, say it like a fully loaded or a no way out, you know, one of those B-level shows. Like, that's why you bring in guys like DDP. Like, you can do a month in a main event with Austin uh, or with Triple H with DDP, and nobody's going to think the wiser of it. And then he can slide back down into the upper mid card. Like, that's DDP, and he's tailor-made for you. He's built for you. He's never going to come in and be more popular than Austin or Rock or The Undertaker. So you don't have that to worry about. Like, they don't have the Goldberg dynamic with this guy. Um, he's good. He's a little older, but he's safe. And by all accounts, he's, like, generally decent in the ring. And um, they could be doing something decent with him for a little while while they've got him. But instead, they've just put him in a role that he was not meant to play. And everybody sees through it, I think. And the, the justification for it. And the, 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 the promo, as well-delivered as it was, it's just bad. And then he comes out at King of the Ring, which we'll talk about, and just gets his fucking ass kicked by The Undertaker. It looks like an absolute douchebag. And at the end of the month, we see him just pulling out Sarah's hair. And it's like, this is not what you do with DDP. And ugh, this only ends with him getting squashed by The Undertaker. And at, at that point, he's finished. Yeah, my exact note um, for the promo when I was watching the TV was great promo delivery with garbage content. <laughs> and yeah, the, the whole thing is just nonsensical. We've already covered, um, despite um, them having some really quality TV at the moment, we've already spoken in detail about the thinness at the top of the roster and, and how like they're, they're a little bit short here and a few guys are banged up here and there. So you think someone like DDP, who is a very good promo and at the very least, like regardless of what you think about him as a, as an overall worker or anything like that, if you've got a guy that can cut a promo and a finishing finisher, that's as over as the diamond cutter can be like that guy can, can do some things for your live crowd, you know, like that, that's someone who can, offer something to your show and to your product even if it is in the short term um instead this storyline just makes absolutely no sense and uh <laughs> I, yeah you so the the former wcw world heavyweight champion is, is is not famous he wants to be famous um so he turns to being a stalker because he wants the Undertaker to make him famous, and then he's going to buy a ticket to the like, like none of it makes sense. Like he could just like, why could he not have just bought his front row seat for King of the Ring anyway, and then like interfered in a match? You know, like, like why well, did he's, he have? He's, to... he's hopping over the barrier. Like, is he employed? Is he not? Like. And like, that's the thing, like, that's that I can hop over this barrier. And so clearly he's a contracted performer, but so you've signed him, but he's not famous. Like if you really, it's one of those ones where it's like, 
okay, he wants to be famous. I, I get that in theory, but like, if you really like start to think about it, it's like, that's like the absolute worst justification to put this guy in a feud with The Undertaker because if he wasn't famous, he wouldn't be in a fucking feud with The Undertaker. I don't know. It's just, wrestling is stupid sometimes. I think we can agree. Yeah, I think this is one of the prime candidates of wrestling being stupid. And uh, <laughs> this is the type of storyline where if you've got a guy like DDP, who by no means is like the biggest star that WCW had, um, but um, is definitely by all accounts in terms of like contractually, one of the biggest stars that the WWF are going to get their hands on short term. And this is what you come up for with him. And this is what you do yeah. with him. Um, especially at the pay-per-view as well, um, then I'm, I mean, you've already been proven right. Like, are we like the idea that we're going to have WCW Raw on Monday nights? Like, when this is how Vince treats, and this is what Vince has for the WCW guys, like, who, like, by no means like a small fry from WCW, you know, like had a lot of success there. Um, and I'm just, in, I'm, oh, I'm just envisioning this like mid-September SmackDown with Austin beating Booker T clean in the middle with a stunner in like seven minutes. Yeah, I mean that's where we're headed. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, the invasion could be in theory like the hypothetical like wrestling invasion between. WCW and WWF like the fan booking that you that we all at some point have done over the last few years in a potential like cross promotion matches and things like that even though they're now all under one umbrella owned by one guy um yeah the reality is is just seldom like we imagine it will be with when it comes to these like cross promotional things and uh there's just too much baggage and sort of going into it i i I don't feel like it's Vince McMahon's sort of approaching this with the best of faith in terms of the storylines that these guys are going to be put into and the outcomes of those storylines but we'll have to see but this ddp reveal as a stalker wanting to be famous is certainly not the best of starts chris if i were to tell you on april 1st or it may have been april 2nd for you uh being so far ahead uh, of us here in the states but if i were to have told you that like april 1 2 Right after we get done watching Mania, let me get on the show to talk about it. And if I were to tell you, by, Ju- uh, by, by June and going into July, we would be certain that the Austin character change was a, a rousing success. And we would already be like incredibly dubious of this WCW storyline that has not even happened yet. So basically, the WCW storyline started the, the raw before Mania. And we're recording this here, you know, at covering the end of June, and we're basically, you know, the 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 the, the tombstone is 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 being carved. It hasn't been planted in the ground yet, but we're already kind of skeptical on this thing, and it hasn't even started yet. Meanwhile, the thing we were the most skeptical about, the Austin character change, is just this incredible piece of business. And I think this is exactly the opposite of how we thought it was going to go between April and June. One seems like before you get into the realities of contracts and also Vince McMahon's preconceived 
prejudices against how he wants to book WCW guys and, and things like that. And just the realities of across wrestling company rivalry, like turning the biggest baby face, like what, like you've had in however many years, like, and when you're at the peak of your business, that guy heel sounds like a risk and booking a storyline that fans have been booking in their heads for a decade plus or whatever, like, um, sounds like the easiest thing in the world to do and one sounds like a terrible idea and one sounds like a piece of cake and uh yeah it has been anything but um and yeah we're i think we're right to be incredibly skeptical i mean it kicked off with shane the week before mania it's in earnest really beginning now and really ramping up now after quite a few months and uh i mean boy we've got invasion next month and i am skeptical but we'll have to see how that goes. And before we get to that, uh, we do have the small matter of the King of the Ring pay-per-view uh, to contend with. So, uh, Eric, would you kindly take us through the results of that show? Thanks, Chris. Uh, the King of the Ring, uh, June 24, 2001, um, the Continental Airlines Arena in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Um, I started giving out the, the attendance figures on the later WCW shows just to make a point. Uh, but I don't think that the WWF is struggling to sell tickets. Uh, nearly 18,000 people in the building for this one. Uh, uh, definitely a sellout. Massive building, too. Uh, in the opening match, uh, King of the Ring semifinal, Kurt Angle defeated Christian. Edge then defeated Rhino in the second King of the Ring semifinal. Uh, the Dudley boys, Bubba Ray and Devon, then retained their tag team titles uh, against Spike Dudley and his mystery partner, Kane. Good choice. Um, Edge then uh, pulled the upset and defeated Kurt Angle to become the 2001 King of the Ring. Jeff Hardy then uh, retained the light heavyweight championship against X-Pac. In the semi-main event, uh, Kurt Angle defeated Shane McMahon in a street fight that definitely uh, lived up to that billing. And in the main event for the WWF Championship, Stone Cold Steve Austin retained the title defeating Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho. What did you make of this show? Uh, when I first watched it, um, because like every good wrestling fan, I definitely you know record these uh, on a stack of videotapes. <laughs> it's getting much larger as the years go by, be that as it may. Uh, so I watched it live, and I really enjoyed it. I thought this show flew by. Uh, the opening... You know, the King of the Ring prelims, I think, should always be 10 minutes or less, and they were. Uh, good matches, Kurt Angle and Christian, Edge and Rhino. Uh, you know, the Dudleys, Spike and Kane. Um, I thought that was a good little twist, a good way to get Kane on the card, because his feud with Triple H got, you know, cut out right when he was just getting started. And so you got to get Kane in there. And I think, you know, <laughs> in kayfabe, if I'm Spike and I see Kane around and I tell him, hey, I'll give you half of the winner's purse, and it doesn't matter if you win or lose. Um, it's a great choice. And then um, the the second half of the show, I thought, you know, with, with one glaring, well, the second half of the show, I think, is where we're going to have a little bit of extra discussion because I thought the King of the Ring final was good. I think it told the story it needed to. And I think the main event, when I first watched it, I thought, uh, I thought this was boring. It went on too long. On a rewatch, uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, I felt the opposite of the Kurt Angle Shane McMahon match. It, it, at the initial watch, I thought, oh, this is great. This, you know, is popping me and everything. And I rewatched it and I thought, oh, this, you can't. 
this isn't wrestling at a certain point. This is just, you know, two people inflicting carnage on one another. And then unfortunately, Jeff Hardy and X-Pac, in my opinion, was a real down point of the show. Uh, we can talk about that as we get to it. What did you think? Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed this show as well. Um, I mentioned it earlier, but I just think like when you look at the earlier matches on a show like this and compare it to like um, other WWF pay-per-views like that have happened like over the last any any time within kind of like the last five years, there's no like dodge. There's nothing bad on this. Like the baseline average work rate of everyone on the show is just at a level these days that like even the smaller matches that maybe have less heat or just less going for them, the guys in there are guys you care about. They're guys you know can work. Um, like I'm like the sort of the obviously Kurt Angle was like one of the big stories of the show. He works three times and it it, it doesn't feel egregious. It just feels exciting because it's Kurt Angle. It's not like the infamous Savio Vega that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that happened. Hey. A few, look, I mean, look, I just I'm just comparing the two on the face of it, and I I, I think there's a clear a clear winner there. Um, and and just like the guys that are in matches that like we've mentioned, like Edge and Rhino in the other semi-final, the match isn't like a classic by any means. It's just like an eight-minute second on the card pay-per-view match. But I've been burnt by so many pay-per-views that have like a really great main event, a hot opener, and then like match two, three, five, and six are all horrible, you know. And like it just doesn't happen anymore. Um, and I think there was just like enough here between like the King of the Ring semis and the finals were all good. Um, like there was the running t- two storylines that kind of ran throughout the night. One was Kurt and one was DDP. One was a positive, one was a big negative. Um, the kind of like smaller, s- smaller stakes match on the show, Jeff Hardy and X-Pac was like pretty fun. And then we had the street fight, which I, I mean that is like a match for me that maybe on a slightly smaller scale, but that's like mankind and take a hair in the cell. That's like the, I quit at the Royal rumble between Foley and, and rock. And, and like, I, I kind of think you put this one in that category as well, to a degree, like it's, it's brutal and it's carnage. But when I was watching it unfold in front of me, I, can't deny that I wasn't at the very least like in fraud, you know, uh, it, whether I enjoyed the matches is, is a different matter, but I was engrossed and I was gripped to my television. Um, and that's like the enduring legacy of this show will be spots that took place in that match. And that will be what happens, uh, what's spoken about by wrestling fans in a 10 years time or in 20 years time indeed. Um, and the main event, I think went on a bit too long, um, but post sort of Booker T's involvement, really the match kind of heated up. And uh, I think it for fairly obvious reasons seemed to have a reasonably anticlimactic finish, but I think it told a right, uh, it told the right story. Um, and I think for the guys involved and, obviously two of them at least working quite badly hurt throughout the match i i think while it's had long i quite enjoyed it so i don't think this is like an all-time pay-per-view by any means but it's an above average show it went by in a flash and there's individual moments and spots on here that we'll get into particularly in the in the street fight that i think will be like in wrestling montages for 
the years to come and there'll be spots that people talk about for years to come for good or bad reasons you know Chris just for fun if you want to um I've got the 1999 King of the Ring card here in the uh in the almanac if you want me to want me to go through that just to prove your point go for it um X-Pac versus Hardcore Holly (laughs) second from the top Kane versus the Big Show oh no please (laughs) (laughs) Here's one that's here's one that's not too bad. Billy Gunn and Ken Shamrock can't complain about those two. They're fun. Um, Road Dog over China. Um, the Hardy Boys with Michael Hayes over the Brood Edge and Christian. So we have early Hardys Edge and Christian. Nothing to play there, but here it really mm-hmm. picks up. Billy Gunn over Kane, and then X Pac versus Road Dog, and then you have the Undertaker versus the Rock, and then Billy Gunn again. So I think one Billy Gun is fine, but four Billy Gun, three Billy Gun, too many Billy Guns. And in the main event, Vince McMahon and Shane McMahon versus Steve Austin. So to your point, regardless of who the people are on the card, the match quality and the pairings have become significantly better since the doldrums of 1999, just two short years ago. Yeah, and it's kind of like... It, the first notable change for me was like we I always go back to it but the tag division a few years ago was just hit it was just terrible in the WWF it was like a real low point and then when you got the emergence of the Hardys and and uh, obviously Edge and Christian and you get the Dudleys involved and there was just beyond those three that are obviously the pinnacle of the division there was just so many teams that you could plug in with any of them and you would get a really good exciting tag match on pay-per-view and it took about a year but then the tag match went from being like the shits to one of the highlights of pretty much every pay-per-view and and it kind of with the addition of the radicals and 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 just some smart hires and doing the right things with the right people like like rhino or now you've got jeff hardy in there as a singles guy or whatever like you've just made parts of your roster better and i think you can have like a a no stakes sort of wrestling show with minimal storyline and it will be better than some of the pay-per-views that we had a few years ago where the roster was just worse and um if you're gonna have a guy like kurt angle work three times one of them be the street fight that we had anything but your your typical wrestling match um it's very different to having billy gunn work free rest hold orientated <laughs> wrestling matches you know speaking of kurt angle just before i close up the almanac here the dark the pre-sunday night heat dark match chris for the 1999 king of the ring meat defeated kurt angle <laughs> <laughs> oh god so we open proceedings with a uh, excellent video package, as always, featuring shots of um, the throne that looks ominous, ominously like an electric chair as we run through some of the matches on the show before JR and Heyman welcome us to the arena. DDP gets us started and he comes through the crowd to cut a promo. Once in the ring, he declares that he has some very non-PG photos that he's taken of Sarah. So he is a stalker then? And reminding us that he... Uh, gone after her not because he'd suddenly gone insane but because he wanted the undertaker to make him famous he challenged the undertaker to come and find him announcing that he wouldn't be hard to find as he'll be sat in the front row with a sign that reads make me famous uh 
We'll have more on uh, DDP and indeed The Undertaker later in the show. But for now, the opening match of the pay-per-view, King of the Ring semi-final uh, between reigning King, Kurt Angle and Christian. Christian charges in early, lands some punches and kicks, but Angle comes back with a running slam. Angle stomps on Christian against a turnbuckle. He charges, but Christian avoids. Angle takes a stern and bump, and Christian hits a neckbreaker for two. Angle goes for the ankle lock, but Christian kicks his way out of it. Christian hits some elbows. Angle fights back with a belly-to-belly overhead suplex. Suplex, sorry, not suplex. Uh, we get a loud let's go Angle chant as Angle sends Christian to the outside. Angle bounces Christian's head off the announce table, but is soon sent into the steel steps. Back inside the ring, Christian goes up top, but Angle sho- uh, shoves him off and Christian takes a bump into the barricade. Angle hits a belly-to-back suplex and stomps away some more. Uh, we have a quick back and forth, uh, which ends with Christian hitting a spinning heel kick, which knocks Angle down. At this point, Shane McMahon runs in uh, uh, with a WCW shirt. He's just on the outside, not involved for now. Angle hits Christian with a clothesline and begins to berate Shane. Angle goes up, up top. He looks for the moonsault, but Christian moves and uh, gets two. Christian hits a reverse backbreaker and gets another two count. Angle counters the Amprittia into the ankle lock. Christian trips the referee on his way to the ropes to break the hold. Christian this time does hit the Amprittia, but Shane pulls Christian off the cover, which the referee misses. Christian's on the apron looking baffled at Shane, who's backed off. Angle takes advantage of this distraction, grabs Christian, hits the angle slam back into the ring and gets the free. Kurt Angle advances to the finals. What did you make of our opener, Eric? I thought this was a perfectly serviceable match that did exactly what it needed to do, executed uh, almost flawlessly by two, you know, very solid uh, workers. Um, I think the only, you know, I'll get my criticism out of the way first. The only thing I wouldn't do if I was Kurt Angle, if I had three matches ahead of me, I wouldn't be doing a moonsault and a curtain jerker. But, you know, it's Kurt, and he's incredible. Apparently, he did suffer a concussion during this match. Um, and that's the other thing. That's the risk you take is when you book somebody for, you know, I think we all kind of assumed Kurt would be in three matches. Um, when you book somebody who's guaranteed to be in two and probably is going to be in three and they suffer an injury in the first match, like that, you know, that's difficult because ideally you don't want somebody who suffered a concussion going back out there and wrestling two matches. Um, but you couldn't tell with Angle. Um, you definitely tell with Shane. Uh, but I think, you know, at least up until the end of the street fight, you couldn't tell that Angle was, was ailing. Um, no, I, I thought the match was, you know, uh, perfectly executed. I think the, the booking was super logical. It forwarded the Shane-Angle thing. It made sense that Shane would want Angle to have to have another match. And it continued to sow the seeds for this, you know, Edge and Christian dissension, not dissension with Edge ultimately prevailing and Christian not. Um, and Christian kind of being screwed out of the tournament at every way. I, they, there was a lot on Raw about how Christian's opponents were like Kane and the Big Show, and Edge, you know, was able to fight Kurt Angle after Kurt Angle had already gotten his ass kicked uh, by by Christian and by Shane, and you know, Edge had an easier path. And so it kind of it, this finish and, and this progression of the storyline really worked to further all the other angles that this that fed into this match. And I, I think, you know, the obvious. Uh, Outcome resulted, and I think they did it very, very, very well. Just, you know, no moonsaults in the opening match, please. Yeah, I like I like this match a lot. Um, I think both men are really good workers. It's probably gone under the radar a bit that Christian 
is as good a worker as he is and i think most people um in and out of the wwf probably see edge as the bigger main event sort of prospect i I suppose um and as evidence on this show at very least um i wonder if a large part of that might be down to height you know like i wouldn't say that there's a notable like difference in their ability in the ring or anything like that and certainly when it comes to promos and backstage segments they work perfectly as a duo and they seem to both have sort of similar levels of charisma and stuff and edge is just taller and slightly more of a better body you know like that's maybe where the distinction comes down to but christian's another example of a guy like eddie guerrero hasn't been in the main event scene and i'm I'm by no means equating christian to like an eddie guerrero but in his absence um christian's got a big opportunity there like he looked good here um room room for improvement and uh but there's going to be times where he's going to be working matches as a singles guy on pay-per-view over the next few months and um that's an opportunity to sort of make that spot in the middle of the card your own you know while other guys are injured or on the shelf or wherever they may be um uh so yeah good opportunity for christian i think he looked good um i'm not sure where kurt would have suffered his concussion to be honest like it wasn't at all obvious that it happened or indeed when it happened um you know but um the just a solid opener that advanced multiple storylines as you've already so eloquently explained so yeah um big thumbs up to start the show we get a backstage segment with austin talking to his wife deborah jonathan coachman shows up for an interview uh austin immediately asks if coach has seen vince mcmahon coach says that uh vince said on thursday on smackdown vince wouldn't be king of the ring tonight austin says that vince is such a kid he'll be there Coach asks Austin about the rumour that Benoit or Jericho could win the WWF title tonight and then defect at WCW. Austin's shocked by this and just stares at Coach and says nothing. This is followed by another video package uh, sort of recapping the rivalry between The Undertaker and DDP uh, and all the sort of stalker segments that have led us to where we are before we get our second King of the Ring semi-final, this time between Edge and Rhino. We start fast uh, with both men quickly brawling to the outside. Edge gets the upper hand, um, crotching Rhino on the guardrail before throwing him into the barricade. Rhino comes back, hot shots Edge onto the barricades uh, up the entrance ramp before returning to the ring and exposing the turnbuckle. Rhino throws Edge into the exposed buckle. He continues to target Edge's midsection, locks on a body scissors before hitting a nice power slam, and a splash from the top rope gets him too. Edge is able to make a brief comeback, hits a sunset powerbomb out of the corner, but Rhino uh, fights back. He hits a double leg spine buster. He sets up for the gore, but Edge also goes for a spear. They collide and both men go down. Rhino crawls to the cover, but Edge kicks out. Edge counters a power slam attempt into a roll up. Rhino shoves Edge off and uh, lands close to the exposed turnbuckle. Rhino charges. Edge dodges and sends Rhino into the exposed turnbuckle. Edge um, capitalizes, hits an impaler DDT, gets the cover and the free. And Edge advances to face Kurt Angle in the final of the King of the Ring tournament. What did you make of this one, Eric? I think this match was just as good as the first match in a completely different way. I mean, I mean, 
I think Edge and Christian are similar enough workers. You know, I think they are different in a sense, whereas Edge is maybe a little bit more power-based and Christian's more a little bit speed-based. But, I mean, they're effectively very similar. And But there's a big difference between Kurt Angle and Rhino. Um, and I think Edge did a really good job with Rhino of, because they've been trying to keep Rhino strong, but he can't, you know, he has to be beaten from time to time. And I think this match was well-designed to say Rhino is almost as good as Edge. Um, and I don't know. I, I think this was just an, another example of, like, this happens when matches are, are serviceable. There's just not a lot of interesting stuff to say about it because all I can say is, you know, this match was exactly what the second match on the King of the Ring should be. It had the probably the right outcome, although I propose an alternative, alternative view here in a minute. Probably had the right outcome. Um, and then um, it keeps Rhino strong and allows Edge to move on, further planting the seed between he and Christian. The alternative that I don't know necessarily think is any, any better or worse than what they did, but just to carry on, you know, if you wanted to feature Rhino more, would be to have Shane ensure that Rhino wins this match because you could look at it to say, well, if I have to fight a guy who has to fight either Edge or Rhino, I would rather fight the guy that had to fight Rhino. And I think that that could be pretty obvious. So. You could have had a situation where Rhino comes in and maybe decimates Angle in a sense of almost like a Vader versus Jake Roberts at King of the Ring 96 situation. And then the the story can be that Shane, that would weaken Shane or weaken Angle enough, I think, to make the match that he ended up having with Shane a little bit more credible versus well, when we'll get to it, um, you know, a wrestler selling for a non-wrestler um, kind of a little bit much. So... If you wanted to put more of an emphasis on Rhino and the Shane Angle match, you might have had Rhino win this match and then have Rhino and, and Shane kind of work together to decimate Angle in the King of the Ring final to further that angle. But I think as they did it, perfectly fine. Yeah, this was another good match. Um, I liked the uh, collision spot with the gore and the spear at the same time. Um, I just think it was another well-booked. The story was good. Both of these guys are good workers. I like them both. And uh, it's exactly what you want from like a second match on the show, another King of the Ring semi-final in the books. And like, we're rolling, like nothing groundbreaking, but just like two decent to good matches to, to kick things off. And it's all positive so far. Um, and I think uh, comparing the card as we did earlier to 99, I think another large part of it is having just the semis in the final on the pay-per-view you know i think that's so much better and and i know angle does work three times on this show but um rather than a guarantee that multiple guys are going to be working uh three times on a show as you would if you had the quarterfinals and it's just so many matches and like the quarterfinals are never going to be great they're always going to be like four minute matches that like you have to get in and out because you know you've got one or two more matches to go that night you know and i think just having the semi-finals that get a lot more time than they would if there were quarters on this show as well um it just makes for a better pay-per-view experience for the wrestlers and for the fans so i think that's another thing that i'd like to see sort of like be a permanent fixture is that we can we can do the quarterfinals on on tv leading into the show you know I completely agree with you. I, I, and I think it works to serve both your pay-per-view as you've described and serve your TV because you can promote, we're going to, you know, we're going to feature the King of the Ring semifinals on, or uh, quarterfinals, you know, as featured segments on Raw or as on SmackDown. And that gives you something else to promote to make 
you know, your weekly kind of mundane TV shows even more exciting. And I don't mean to say that Raw is mundane, but, you know, any other cards you can put in the deck to play, I think is always a good thing. So I think by by moving the quarterfinals to Raw or SmackDown, uh, it allows those to, you know, function more into the storytelling and make Raw and SmackDown seem better. And, and, and that helps to make the show better because the matches can be a little, they can breathe a little bit more and the segments can breathe. And the show just has a much more natural flow. Next up, we get a recap of how on Sunday Night Heat, uh, before this show, Spike Dudley challenged his brothers for their tag titles and said he'd be choosing a mystery partner. He's interviewed live by JR. Spike tells us it's going to be a big surprise. Bubba and Devon turn up. Both say that Spike and Molly are huge disappointments to their families. Jericho is then interviewed backstage by Taz, where he's asked about the rumours that he could win the WWF title and defect at WCW. Jericho says that WCW might just be bearable under Shane McMahon and is generally pretty evasive on if the rumours are true or not in general. It's time for the WWF tag title match and we soon find out that Spike Dudley has chosen the Intercontinental Champion to be his partner, Kane. We're underway and Spike is hell-bent on getting to his brothers so this starts hot but eventually Bubba press slams Spike into Kane. This is pretty cool. Uh, Kane catches him and just throws him right back, uh, which is a nice little spot in the early going. The Dudleys take control when Devon fakes a low blow on a leapfrog, which allows them to take advantage of a referee distraction. Spike takes a nasty looking uh, back body drop, monkey flip and power bomb from Bava. Uh, the Dudleys work over Spike for a long while until he's eventually able to avoid a diving headbutt and make the hot tag to Kane. Kane cleans house with strikes on both Dudleys. He hits a huge power slam on Bubba, which uh, Devon is evidently meant to break the count on, but in, he misses his cue. He's not, he doesn't slide into the ring quickly enough. Bubba doesn't know this, doesn't kick out. So the referee, uh, Teddy Long, just stops counting at 2.5 and it's a bit of a mess. Um, the crowd don't really give him too much of a hard time. Um there's a smattering of boos, but nothing, nothing major. And I, I wonder if the sort of next spot really won them back over quite quickly, which was uh, Kane knocking both Bubba and Devon out of the ring, and he gorilla press slam Spike over the top onto the Dudleys. And from that point, the crowd seems to sort of be back with the match to a degree. Spike throws Bubba back into the ring. Uh, he takes a flying clothesline from Kane. Spike goes for the cover, but Bubba kicks out. Spike then hits the Dudley dog, but Devon breaks up the, the pin. Uh, Kane attempts a choke slam on Devon, but Bubba kicks him in the knee. They hit a double suplex and go for the what's up, but uh, this time without the taunting, much to Heyman's disappointment. Spike goes for a Dudley dog on Devon, but he counters, and the Dudleys hit a 3D on Spike for the win. Post-match, Devon gets the table, but Kane comes back in. He hits a powerbomb on Devon and then chokeslams Bubba through the table before setting off his pyro. Your thoughts on the tag title match? Got to get that heat back, brother. Um, this match did have a lot of like weird timing issues. Or was I just a little bit sensitive after that one glaring one you pointed out? But I feel like over the course of this match, there were three or four like miscommunications between... Particularly, it seemed to be between Bubba, Devon, and Teddy Long. Uh, you said Teddy was the, the ref for this one. I didn't note that down. But, um, I mean, all those guys are generally very good at what they do. So there was just something amiss here. Just, you know, the the, the parts didn't necessarily click. Um, I think they worked through that. And like you said, there were enough kind of cool Spike Dudley spots, many of which probably are new. 
to the WWF crowd because I don't know that how many of these folks were watching ECW TV on the regular. Um, but so I think that's cool. And that's definitely, you know, a, a value to Spike is having him around to do that. And I always will love Spike and Bubba um, interacting because Bubba really knows how to sell for Spike and they've done it so long and it's, it's really, really good. Um, and, but, you know, timing issues aside, um, I think this match is fine. Um, I, I like putting Kane here. It gives him something to do. It makes sense if you're Spike Dudley. I think I mentioned this earlier. If you're Spike Dudley wandering around thinking, shit, who's going to be my partner? Suddenly you see Kane there with nothing to do and the light bulb goes off. It's like, yeah, I'd probably pick him too. Um, you know, Spike takes the fall. Dudley's keep the belts. Kane keeps his heat. I think, again, a completely logical uh, finish to, you know, probably under you know, a below average match just because of the timing issues. But enough cool spots and the right outcome. Uh, to where I think this uh, match like serviced the card. Yeah, I think despite kind of the mix-up, which maybe with a harsher crowd on a different night, um, that kills them dead for this match, and there's no coming back from such an egregious miscommunication regarding a pinfall, where literally for for no reason the referee just stops counting, and it's all a bit awkward and a bit of a mess. Um, and I think maybe just because of spike and uh, like the spots of just like having him thrown around Kane catching him and throwing him right back and press slamming him. And like, I think spike Dudley has been like quietly not, not MVP, but certainly a, a, a very important player within TV in the last few months. I know uh, last month Rory and D spent a long time talking about spike and Molly and, and that storyline and giving them a lot of props and it's just continued. Um, and he's not the best worker in the world, but um, he's good enough that you can go in there and do some really entertaining spots with him. And that's perfect for like match three on a show like this. Um, and it's got storyline running through it and the crowd are invested in that storyline. So they are willing to sort of let go sort of miscommunications and bad sort of effectively just botches i suspect i suppose like completely blew a cover and the referee just stopped counting it was yeah quite a bad one but in the wider context of the match it didn't seem to matter very much or really cause much of an issue for the guys in the ring or the crowd um so i think we're free for free now on on this is probably the the, the weakest of the three matches but free for free for at the very least decent matches so far on the show well and, and i think it goes to show you that if you're over you can get away with a lot um yeah and, and everybody and everybody here is over um especially spike now i mean he's the hottest one of the bunch probably uh, and and i think that really really helps and i think that's why kind of in you know despite these issues and, and despite you know this is a, this is a new york crowd in a sense um and but i think i think it all comes down to what you said earlier, you know, three years ago, two years ago, this spot was not occupied by people that the crowd particularly cared about. And now it is. And it really goes to show you that even when you have a really bad, you know, kayfabe destroying spot, we just move on. And here we go. Finish the match. We see another video watching DDP getting into his car earlier and driving away. DDP sells annoyance at having what he did 
happened back to him and tells the Undertaker he's still right here. Following that, we have the King of the Ring final between Kurt Angle and Edge. Probably one of the earliest times in a King of the Ring pay-per-view that the final's gone on. Um, fourth match on the show. Hold on a second. I just want to say one thing. First of all, I'm sorry for getting mad at you last week. I don't want anything to get in the way of our friendship. Thank you. Edge, don't listen to him. Listen. With that being said, as you know, I have a street fight with Shane McMahon. And realistically, Edge, there's no way you're beating me here tonight. Hold on a second. So what I was thinking is, since I do have this street fight with Shane, it's only right that you allow me to be fresh in my match. And that way, I can spare the embarrassment of you, of me, handing your butt to you tonight. You understand? So what I'm saying, Edge, is if you forfeit here and now, it's the right thing, it's the right thing to do, and you're being my friend. What do you say, Edge? Come on, I think I know you. Kurt gets on the mic uh, with both men in the ring. He tells Angle that there's no way that Edge could beat him tonight. And as such, with Angle having a street fight against Shane later, he ask, asks Edge to for, forfeit. Angle says, come on, Edge. I think I know you, which is a really like dorky, like just reference to just Edge's entrance music. And I can do it no justice at all. But it was a really funny moment from Angle. Um Edge, Edge replies just by laying in some right hands. The bell rings and we're underway. Kurt takes an early beating but comes back with a belly-to-belly suplex over the top rope in a really good spot. Angle then throws Edge into the steel steps, causing further injury to Edge's midsection following up from his match with Rhino. He stomps away on the outside before rolling Edge back into the ring. He gets two off a suplex before putting a few sleeper holds in, which seems to slap a lot of the energy out of this crowd. They fight to the top, but Edge gets out of it and gets a roll, uh, gets two with a roll-up. Uh, Angle's back on top, and he gets another sleeper hold on. Angle eventually goes up top again. Uh, Edge uh, cuts him off with a drop kick before hitting a hurricane runner off the top, which gets two. Edge gets two off a catapult into the corner. There's a really excellent sequence where Angle goes for the ankle slam. Edge counters. Angle counters back, and this time goes for the ankle lock. Edge rolls through for a two count. Um, they both pop up. Edge immediately hits the Edge-O-Matic, but Christian runs down and at this exact moment distracts the referee from making the count. Angle takes advantage of Christian being there uh, to get a roll-up of his own, which gets two, before Angle ducks a clothesline from Edge and Edge accidentally locks down the referee. Angle puts Edge in the ankle lock and Edge begins to tap, but the ref is obviously down. Angle goes to revive the ref, but Shane McMahon comes out. He spears Angle before running to the back uh, uh, through the crowd. Edge recovers first. He hits an impaler DDT and gets the free. Edge is your 2001 King of the Ring. What do you make of that, Eric? I sound like a broken record. Just no complaints, really. Um, I think these two 
put on a match that needed to be put on. And I think that, I think if, if we're going to complain about something, I think it's that it became apparent that this whole undercard was uh, going to be impacted by Angle versus Shane. And, and I would have maybe, I know Shane is trying to fuck with Angle, but like the point is get Angle in the match. So he has to have the match. I don't know that if I were Shane, I would necessarily care whether or not Angle then wins that next match, if, unless I'm just really trying to fuck with him. Um, but so I don't know that there was a little bit too much extra in this. Uh, I mean, we had interference from both sides in a ref bump in the fourth match on the card. I understand it's the King of the Ring final, um, but with everything that was to come on this show uh, in the last two matches with all the gimmicks and all the bumps and all the stuff, I, I may have just said, you know, send out Christian or send out Shane, you know, and but other than that, I mean, we're super nitpicking here. I think this is a perfectly fine match. And I think Edge, if they do this right, I mean, every other year it seems to work out, you know, if they can get him the King of the Ring rub. Um, his first program uh, on Raw was against Billy Gunn, uh, which, you know, if you're the King of the Ring and you're going to go against the guy whose career was almost worse after he won King of the Ring, I don't know if that's how I want it to be framed, but um I think it gives Edge something to hang on his mantle, something to talk about. Angle didn't need it. Um, probably, you know, better than Edge won. Perfectly fine match. No real complaints other than maybe I would have uh, cooled it down a little bit just in order to keep, you know, the last two matches a little bit more special. Yeah, I, I think if I, in my sort of notes here, I've been a bit nitpicky because <clears throat> I, I did genuinely enjoy the match. It was probably... Uh, the best match of the night so far would that be fair to say i mean <clears throat> we're only four in and it's like like yeah. they're all very much of the same you know um but this was like, like, really... like, oh i'm sorry i was gonna say it's like four matches all going between like a five and a 7.5 it's there's yeah. zero to complain about um and this was like on the high end of that scale but i i think by the end of it i felt a little deflated even though all the inter- the both spots of interference made sense from storyline perspective and the ref bump too but i think Christian interfering, Shane interfering, ref bump, and like the visual submission, like that the ref missed from Edge, and I'm like, it, it all by the end of it felt a bit. And this is like not the fault of any of the guys involved, you know. This is just the booking discrepancy. But like, basically, it just felt like a TV match, you know. Like by the, by the time there was that much shenanigans and like two lots of interference, a ref bump, and a submission that the ref missed, it's like this could have been on raw just setting up a match at the pay-per-view, you know, like for the following week. Um, and by the end, didn't really feel like the King of the ring final. Like not that it's like, I mean, we're not talking about like the Royal rumble match here, you know, but like it's, it's a marquee match. And I think with angle and Shane being a big match later on the show, I think the, the balance was probably tipped a little too far into building up other stuff and away from the significance of this and maybe on this night at the very least didn't feel like it did a lot for edge just because there was just so much else in the mixing pot here um but like i say that is like it's a grievance with booking and and storytelling that is not the fault of any of the four guys well five including the referee you know that were in and around the ring for this 10 minute match um and all of them did their roles well i think this was a really good match i i I like edge a lot and obviously we all know 
like Angle is just like a main event star these days. And I see, I think Edge could easily be rotated in and out of that higher echelon of the card, depending on sort of how the next few months go for him. And with a few guys hurt and a few guys out, very much like Christian, like Christian can cement himself as like an intercontinental title player, I imagine. And with Benoit out and like Jericho kind of like going to be cycled out of the WWF title picture for a while and now probably um, there's probably a spot that Edge can get towards the top of the card if the if things go right for him and he delivers in crucial moments and crucial matches. So yeah, I think the right outcome um, just felt a little flat in the wider context of this being the King of the Ring pay-per-view and this being the final. No, no big show on this uh, card really helped. Uh, oh, I mean, that helps every show. Um, if, if, if there's no big show, then like rather than starting on a five, you're starting on seven when it comes to my overall score, you know? Um, That's right. So, yeah. Backstage, we see Taz ask Benoit about the rumours that he could jump to the WCW if he wins the title tonight. Benoit shouts at Taz, what the, what the hell kind of question is that? Before Benoit smiles, laughs, and actually says, actually, it's a pretty good one, and then walks off. We move to Jeff Hardy defending the WWF light heavyweight title against X-Pac in a match where the X-Factor, Matt Hardy, and Lisa are all banned from ringside. Jeff takes early advantage with some arm drags and a leap from the guardrail to the outside. X-Pac dodges a whisper in the wind by Jeff, but then works him over with an abdominal stretch. Jeff reverses it. X-Pac hip tosses him over the ropes, hits a springboard crossbody to the outside. X-Pac hits a spin kick for a two count and then puts on a sleeper hold, which elicits an, S- which elicits an X-Pac sucks chant from the crowd. He hits another spin kick to shut down a charge by Jeff, then hits three kicks in the corner. He sets Jeff up for the Bronco Buster, but Jeff dodges the attempt. He comes back, but then is shut down uh, by sort of a botch and a bit of a miscommunication here, where X-Pac leaps into the air when Jeff charged at him in the corner, and X-Pac just kind of lands on top of Jeff and collapses him. I'm not really sure what they were going for there, but it didn't look particularly uh, clean cut. Uh, Jeff hits a whisper in the wind, uh, gets a sloppy cover, which gets uh, two. X-Pac rolls through a diving crossbody for another near fall. Jeff goes for 10 punches in the corner, but X-Pac knocks him down and hits the X-Factor. The ref counts three, but Jeff is foot is on the bottom rope, so the ref immediately cancels the decision. Jeff reverses a second X-Factor attempt into a jawbreaker. He hits the Swanton bomb. This is enough to pick up the win and retain his title. What do you make of this one? extremely disappointed mm. uh you know at xbox one two three kid i'll just call him waltman six uh sean walton um kind of been vince mcmahon's like testing you know like like baseline opponent right like we hear this you know guy comes in put him against waltman we saw it with jericho a year and a half ago um and so i'm thinking that you get a guy like uh xbox uh, who is about the same size and doesn't work a similar style, but, you know, works a, a fast-paced athletic style, same as Jeff Hardy, who's about the same size as X-Pac, and uh, is on the up, in, in my opinion, Jeff Hardy, and is somebody who, you know, probably could be groomed to have, a, you know, a really important spot on the card in the next five years. Um, and it just did not click here. Um, 
I don't know whether they, you know, whether there was a miscommunication or whether it was just kind of cursed from the beginning. But I looked at this card and I thought, well, there's a lot of matches that have potential to be good matches. But as far as like your straight up, you know, work rate, light heavyweight, cruiserweight, athletic style matches that can benefit a card and kind of mix it up. And, you know, mixing up the cards has been WWF's problem over the years because every match has been the WWF style. Um, here, I thought, well, this will be good to break it up between the consistent WWF style good matches that we've seen so far and an Austin main event, which we know is going to be a walking brawl mixed with, you know, a lot of heavy hitting uh, action. And then Shane versus Kurt Angle, which could only be the clusterfuck that it that manifested. So, yeah, let's mix it up here before we before we head into the the, the serious stuff. And to me, there were a lot of moments here that looked promising, and then it would just fall apart. And you mentioned that one corner spot, and it just looked like at that point, Waltman was just completely over it. And uh, I don't know. I think they had another match on Raw that may have been a little bit better, um, but to me. I was really looking forward to this match, being a big fan of Xbox in-ring work and, you know, and a, and a proponent of Jeff Hardy as somebody with just a ton of potential. And to me, both guys just, you know, did not bring it on this night. And it's too bad. Yeah. I, I, you see this match like scheduled for this show. And I think you kind of imagine, but we, we know what Jeff Hardy, Hardy is and, and what he can do and what he can bring. But I think you kind of like imagine like like a '94 like Waltman like one two three kid like those two going together like if like the if you picture the best Jeff Hardy we've seen against that iteration of Waltman then like you're probably gonna have like a unbelievable match and that's kind of the expectation you have because you know what these two guys can deliver and it it didn't click for whatever reason the Raw match like you say was better but on this night um for whatever reason and i guess only those two guys will know um just on different pages i think uh and and again though like even when you have like a disappointing bit of a dud like this isn't like this isn't like a a match that's like so bad it knocks scores off your like overall ratings like when you come to think about your overall enjoyment of a pay-per-view and things like that like um, we're just in a different spot, and I think I need to like turn to grips with the terms that like shows I gave like a if I gave a show like a six out of ten in like '99 or before, like if I give this a six out of ten, that would feel like a travesty, you know? Like it, it like they're almost two different scales for two different eras of the WWF, and I'm kind of coming to terms with the fact that everything's going to skew slightly higher now. And, and that's okay. Like my my, if what would have constituted a seven out of ten in '98, for example, is is very different to what would constitute a seven out of ten now, which is more often than not like where you begin as a baseline for a WWF pay per view uh, at the moment. So, um, you, I think you make a great point. Like we're definitely grading on a on a WWF expectation since like 2000, 2001. Uh, with the level of cards that we've been given, generally speaking, you know, on the other hand, there are some WCW shows over the last year and a half where this would have been one of the top three matches on the card. So, you know, we do criticize things when they stand out, but they stand out relative to what's around it. And, you know, on another night, in another promotion, in another year, this match is perfectly fine. It just wasn't what it could have been 
on this night with these two guys on this card. Backstage, we see Regal in his office talking to Tajiri about how good the King of the Ring has been so far. Austin storms in, um, angry that he can't get signal on his mobile phone. Regal offers him his phone. Austin calls McMahon, uh, introducing himself in a way that got a chuckle from me. Initially, Steve. Steve Austin. Stone Cold Steve Austin. WWF champion Stone Cold Steve Austin. He tells Vince about the rumours of Benoit and Jericho potentially defecting if they were to win the title tonight. He tells Vince that he needs him there. Vince apparently doesn't believe Austin, who passes the phone to Regal to convince Vince. uh, And Regal says the line, which I really enjoyed. If you can't trust Steve Austin, who can you trust? Vince relents and is apparently on his way to the building. Austin asks him to hurry and leaves. Before our next batch, we get another video of DDP coming to the arena and DDP is livid. He gets in the ring and demands that Taker come out. We see a video of Paige heading to the ring, but this time the camera turns around to show that it had been Sarah with the camera the whole time. She says it's time for DDP to be made famous and The Undertaker's music hits. Taker very slowly walks to the ring. Uh, He puts on his gloves and enters and lays into Paige. Uh, Taker mounts him, which leads to a lot of punches, stomps away on Paige, but then uh, DDP comes back with a low blow. He uh, delivers some punches of his own, uh, but Taker punches back and knocks him out of the ring. Sarah makes her down. Uh, uh, Sarah makes her way down to ringside with the camera as she uh, begins recording Taker being up Paige. Taker whips Paige into uh, people around the ringside area. Page comes back with a chair, hits a chair shot to the ribs and then a chair shot to the back before The Undertaker tackles him over the announce table. They go back into the ring with The Undertaker delivering some knee lifts along to pun- along with punches to the body. Taker rocked Page with another punch. Uh, back inside the ring, uh, Page wants a timeout. He kicks him, uh, Taker kicks him in the face and knocks him out of the ring and Page runs away, leaving over the barricade. As he walks to the backstage area, Undertaker celebrates and poses in the ring with Sarah. So uh, it's not a debut match in the WWF for DDP, but um, rumor has it the reason that they didn't make this a match was purely because they didn't want to actually beat Paige. But that like, there's just no <laughs> world where he beats, he pins the Undertaker, you know. So they just made it this this physical confrontation where he got his ass handed to him for ten minutes. Um, but didn't get pinned like that makes it any better um eric but sort of first physical altercation in the fed for page and what did you make of it <laughs> uh did you did you notice page is selling how in, in what way okay do you remember halloween havoc 95 is that a show you're familiar with <sighs> not massively off the top of my head no okay a little bit of homework it's only like a four minute match but watch macho man versus the zodiac on that show and watch how the zodiac sells for macho man and then watch this and how ddp sells for the undertaker it's like comedy like pratfall selling and i felt like ddp here like did not did a really bad job of getting his ass kicked like, there's a way here to where you can be DDP and, like, obviously it's The Undertaker, so he's going to kick your ass. 
And you can kind of look like somebody who can take it and look like somebody who, like, despite the fact that I'm getting my ass kicked, um, you know, I'll lift a fight another day. And this is all part of my plan. No, he looked like a cartoon villain getting his come up. It's like he was bouncing off the ropes and he was doing like the you get punched in the face and then fall in your face spot and like the the whoa wobbly like legs. I was just it, it took me out of it almost immediately. And I thought, gosh, if you're going to have the Undertaker basically come out here and wallop DDP for 10 minutes, like the worst thing DDP could do here would be to look like an absolute idiot while it's happening. And unfortunately, at least to me, and I might be overreading this, but like I felt like DDP like took the piss out of this with his selling. And so I think on top of like the problems that, you know, we discussed with how this was all laid out in the first place, DDP did himself no favors in this scenario that was drawn up by looking like an absolute like comedy cartoon villain and getting his butt kicked by this much larger and more intimidating man. <laughs> so I just this to me is the. Uh, as the old uh, Jim Ross line, the stain on the underwear of this show is this segment. Yeah, um, just comically bad. I think uh, maybe the root of Paige acting in the way you just described is that he knows that, you know, like what? Well, this what? isn't this isn't his character. Like this isn't what he does. Like no, he's he's completely. It's like you've taken a right fielder and, and you know, and put them, in, you know, behind home plate. Like, he's just playing completely out of position. I mean, he's a guy. He's just completely out of position. And it showed immediately. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but, like, it's just, no, 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 it's, just, it, it's just the wrong guy for the spot. If you're going to run the spot, do it with a different guy. If you're going to use DDP, use it in a different way. Yeah, they, they've just got Diamond Dallas Page so wrong from minute one. Um and this is just a consequence of that. And I, it wouldn't surprise me if, like, <laughs> what, like, six days after he showed up on Raw, Paige just knows, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm fucked. I'm done here. Like, I've got I got no hope with what with what they've given me and what they want me to do. Like, I, I'm, I'm not going to get over. I'm not going to be DDP. I'm not going to be the guy that I was in WCW. So, like, fuck it. And he's just, like, kind of, like, taking the piss a bit you know like because it's just stupid um the only saving grace for him in a way is like it's not a match because you know the match would have had like <laughs> last ride pull up at two like last ride pull up at two chokeslam pull up at two and then eventually <laughs> a, a merciful freak out like it would have just been it would have just been a farce um, oh, and he definitely Undertaker definitely kicks out of the Diamond Cutter in DDP's first match in WWF, like completely, <laughs> completely ruining that. Like after they spent ten years building it up in, in WCW, like you know that happens too. So oh, yeah. maybe you're right. Maybe there's something to this. <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean he's the DDP character just looks ridiculous. He took he took a proper hiding here, and I just don't. I don't know that there's a way of salvaging this page character. Like maybe there's a way in which he goes away and then returns like as actual DDP, you know, like the one that was over for like and a former world champion, like that guy and uh, makes a contribution here. But this iteration of this character is going nowhere fast. I don't know who he's pissed off backstage uh, just with his presence six days in, but it's clearly the wrong person. Um, 
And uh, yeah, he's going to be fighting an uphill battle from here, that's for sure. Moving on, we get another video package uh, which recaps the Angle versus Shane rivalry as it's time for the street fight. Uh, Shane's out first, introduced as the owner of WCW, and is shortly followed by Kurt out for his first match of the night. Angle kicks things off, tackling Shane, getting the upper hand with some amateur wrestling and throwing Shane around from a waist lock. Shane fights back with some punches and sweeps Angle's legs before bailing and leaving the ring. Angle takes an amateur wrestling position on all fours and invites Shane back in. Shane stupidly takes the bait. Angle just rolls over, beats him down. He hits a series of belly-to-belly suplexes and beats Shane into the corner. Angle again gets on all fours, but Shane's wise to it this time, kicks him in the ribs and just punches away with some... uh, yeah, charitably labelled by me, ground and pound. Uh, Shane sends them both to the outside, hits the flying clothesline from the guardrail over the announce table. He gets a kendo stick, beats on Angle with with it and uh, before Angle drives Shane into the ring post. But uh, Shane fights back, sends Angle into the crowd. Angle comes back, but uh, Shane gets the upper hand again, hits two arm drags into the barricade. He goes for a cover in the ring, but Angle bridges up. So Shane stands and just hits a splash back down, but still can't get the pin. Shane goes and gets some weapons from under the ring and begins beating on Angle with a sign. Uh, Angle comes back, uh, tries an enziguri, but Shane ducks it. He, uh, Shane puts Angle in the ankle lock, but Angle's able to roll over and kick Shane off. Uh, Shane then puts Angle in what I'm generously calling a sharp scooter. He tries it and kind of collapses. Uh, it's it's messy, but he, he sort of picks himself back on and gets something that resembles a sharpshooter back on. Angle's able to drag himself Dude, to the he, ropes. So he made the rocks. He made the rocks sharpshooter look like something Kevin Nash would put together. Like you're 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 giving him way too much credit. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, yeah, yeah. It, uh, did it? Is it? Did it make the rock sharpshooter look like Bret Hart sharpshooter? Is that is that too much? It was. Let's put it this way: There's now a sharpshooter we can point to that does make the Rock sharpshooter look much closer to Brett's sharpshooter than we ever thought it might. There we go. That's that's like that is a feat that we never thought we'd uh, come across. So that's something for Shane to be proud of. I I suspect. Um, Angle manages to grab a kendo stick and uh, hit Shane in the back of the head with it to break the hold. Shane dropped. Uh, Dodges a shot from the kendo stick and lays in some more punches with a shuffle and, uh, and a, a final punch that gets him two. Shane then beats Angle down with a trash can. He lays the can on Angle and he goes up top. Shane goes for a shooting star press, but Angle dodges. I think Shane was supposed to sort of come down on the trash can, but it, he only really glanced it. Um, and it look, didn't look like the most pleasant of landings, but it was a really great spot and like credit to Shane for pulling off a shooting star press, you know. Angle gets an arm over Shane, but is only able to get a two count. Angle throws Shane over the top rope and they battle on the entrance way. Shane hits a suplex on the ramp and both men are down. And it's worth noting that that is the spot where uh, Kurt was suffered what we suspect to be a uh, broken tailbone because he took a suplex clean onto the concrete and it it was not a nice landing. They brawl right up to the set, which has huge glass panels on either side. Angle grabs Shane. He hits a belly-to-belly suplex into the glass panel. These men in a very dangerous, precarious situation and position here, being on the unex- the exposed concrete floor, right in front of the King of the Ring set. Oh. Oh, 
suplex upside down, and then I think Shane's head just bounced right off the, the concrete floor. Shane McMahon is down, and Come again, on. this match Get cannot be won, but in the ring, you gotta believe it's Falls Town anywhere. Angle might be able to take it right here. Oh, I think Kurt Angle now just needs no. to bring Shane back to the ring and beat him. Oh, not again. Oh. The first time this happens, Shane just bounces directly off the glass and falls hard onto the concrete, head and neck first. Mm. Angle is quickly back up. He grabs Shane again and launches his back using a belly-to-belly suplex into the same panel of glass. This time, Shane goes right through it. Glass shatters everywhere. Shane's immediately busted open and bleeding from the head. Angle follows him in, and they're behind the glass. Angle at this point is bleeding from the arms and shoulders, uh, as there is legit broken glass everywhere. Angle tries to suplex Shane through another piece of broken glass, this time from inside the set to back out onto the entrance entrance ramp. The first time again, Shane hits the glass hard and crashes to the concrete head and neck first. Angle immediately rolls over and checks on Shane. Mustard gets the okay because he's right back up. He grabs him another suplex into the glass. And again, it does not break. Shane lands hard head and neck first onto the concrete inside the set. The crowd like audibly stunned uh, at at these repeated spots over and over again. Uh, On the third attempt, Angle thinks better of trying to suplex again and just grabs Shane and throws him straight through. Uh, the glass shatters out onto the entranceway. It's absolutely everywhere. Shane's just lying in the middle of it, bleeding profusely from the head, just like it, an absolute mess. And Angle is really bleeding from his upper shoulders and arms now, where they had <clears throat> where they had been in the glass. Angle uh, must sort of forget his bearings temporarily, goes for the cover, but the referee reminds him that he can only win by pinfall in the ring. Angle then gets a case that. Uh, would have been part of the the cruise earlier. Uh, he props Shane onto it and wheels him back to the ring, rolls him into the ring, goes for the cover, but Shane kicks out at two. Angle gets a trash can lid, lifts up Shane, but Shane hits a low blow and then hits Angle in the head three times with a lid, following up with an angle slam. Shane gets an arm over Angle, but Angle kicks out. Angle goes for the ankle lock, but Shane battles out of it and instead catapult. Uh, in, and instead, Angle catapults Shane onto the top turnbuckle. Angle grabs a wooden board, hits Shane in the back with it three times, then uses it as a platform on the top rope. He climbs up and stands on the wood with Shane, both men standing on the plank in the corner. Kurt hits an angle slam from the top. He crawls into a cover, gets the three, and wins the match. Eric, what did you make of the street fight? To quote the great Lou Brown from the Major League after Willie Mays Hayes uh, made a basket catch during spring training. Great job, kid. Don't ever fucking do it again. As a visual spectacle and something that I like could not peel my eyes off of, this match was a 10 out of a 10. I mean, two guys just basically killed themselves live on television for our entertainment. Like, that's not the point of wrestling, but it was entertaining in the moment. And then you go back and think about it, or maybe when Shane lands on his head four times in a minute and a half, you think, well, this isn't exactly Gotch, you know, versus Hackenschmidt. Um, I don't know. Like, it's so, so 
I think there's two tracks to grade this match on. As a visual spectacle that kept the viewer engrossed, absolutely, it hit every mark. Um, but as like a reviewer on a technical basis of pro wrestling, like, nah, dog, this is not not for me. Um, I I think that this match was too long, kind of regardless of all the spots they were able to get into it. I mean, it was almost as long as the main event, what, nearly 30 minutes. Um, that's a lot of ring time for Kurt. Uh, having had two matches earlier in the night. And it's a lot of things to fill with Shane McMahon to cover up his lack of basic wrestling ability. Now, Shane McMahon is one, I think is probably one of the best in the business at taking an ass whooping. I think uh, that compounded with the fact that he's Vince McMahon's son, the the latter probably being the more important of the two factors, uh, allows Shane to be in these positions. Uh, But his ability to sell gives him a little bit of credibility when he is in the ring. But, where it kind of falls apart is when you have a non-wrestler go nearly 30 minutes with a former world champion who, while he had two matches, wasn't really worse for wear uh, after the second match with Edge. So I think that's why I brought up that Rhino thing. It's like if you're going to have Shane go 30 minutes with Kurt, have Rhino beat the ever-loving shit out of Kurt, and then you know have Shane kind of pick the bones and let Kurt kind of build back up throughout. I still think you don't want this to go longer than 15 or maybe generously 20 minutes. Um, and then they just did too much. And I think I there's no purpose. <laughs> Those uh, I always thoughts with Shane going into the into the set. You mentioned the Foley spots and some of the others. Like, yeah, that that's where these will live in infamy with spots that like are designed to look cool will ultimately end up hurting the performer a hell of a lot more than like is worth our entertainment value. So I would not want to be Shane McMahon's chiropractor uh, after this, or maybe I would be, I don't know. Um, But like, I think Shane doing that stuff and Kurt, you know, participating in that, I think matches like this, it's not just Shane and Kurt, but like these matches set a really bad precedent and that like the next time somebody wants to do something that, you know, stands out, you have to keep raising the bar further and further and further. And like, the first Foley bump was one that was done within the context of a wrestling match that all things considered worked out pretty well um, with a guy who's all the all-time best at taking bumps in McFoley. But when you see things like this, where we go from a wrestling bump to, oh, the guy's actually going to get cracked on his head, and then he's going to go back and do it four more times instead of saying, no, we're just going to abandon this spot and move on. Like, that's dangerous to me. And then he kicks out of it, <laughs> and Kurt has to beat him up again for ten for five or ten more minutes. Like... I don't know, like, visual spectacle aside, I think this match is just kind of emphasizes a lot of the problems with kind of what wrestlers feel like fans expect in 2001 when it comes to street fights and kind of these brawling type of matches. And I think Shane McMahon probably took some brain cells out, you know, out of his head permanently after this. And, you know, you know, these guys take years off their lives bumping in the ring. Falling on concrete is not something that was ever designed to happen. So... I don't know. I don't think I'll watch this match again uh, because I think I've the more that I watch it, the more I'll just, you know, giving it credit for being engrossing and just be grossed out by it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a difficult match to review. Um, and I do have it right up there with like King of the Ring 98, the Hell in Cell, the I Quit match from 99. And now this is 2001 in like they're they're must-see but in the worst kind of way um and like 
after you've watched them once for the first time live and you know like you you don't know what's about to happen and then it and then it happens and you're fully engrossed and in the moment like it's like a marvel isn't it like you're just like you marvel at like what you're seeing um the particularly insane spots that live long in the memory and the, the massive bumps and the insanely dangerous stuff um and then you watch it a second and a third time and it's diminishing returns in that you're not quite as enthralled anymore but you're you're just increasingly aware and disgusted about the the harsh long-term health consequences and realities of a match like this um and like reports are that shane was like generally it was okay you know like which is like a minor miracle and angle walked into this match with a concussion <laughs> and left it with a concussion and the what they suspected was a, a broken tailbone ended up being quite a severely sprained one i believe um and it could have been so much worse and there's only so many times that we're going to get away with saying this could have been worse and this could have gone badly because one of these times a match like this will happen and, and it will get it will go bad you know like in front of our eyes um and it is not something that anyone wants as a fan i'm sure none of the, the wrestlers and the boys in the back want that and it's an insanely difficult match to review because of that because i was like mesmerized watching this on tv and like every time kurt would pick him up and go for the glass again like the first time he goes for it and it doesn't break i don't know what like in my head i was like as are there like is it the is it like gimmicked glass and they've used the wrong one like what what's going on here and then it just goes for it again and then from the inside to out again and again and it's like eventually he has the sense to just throw him through but like after the first one went wrong why would you try three more times um yeah just insane so when he pinned him in the aisle way i almost wish the referee just would have counted it and part of me at the time thought oh this is kurt kind of calling an audible because he thinks shane is really bad off here yeah and I, i don't think anybody in the crowd would have complained if they had just counted that fall in the aisle way for 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 Kurt, I think that probably was the logical finish after that. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't like the big, exciting flashbulb spot that you got with that top rope angle slam. And that's clearly what they were building towards. But I think it could have, I think when I was watching this match, I thought, well, Kurt is either like, you know, disoriented, trying to pin him here and not realizing it, or they're trying to say, like, can we just end this. And then, you know, either the referee or Shane said, no, 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 I can keep going. So, just to, you shouldn't. I, I would like to watch matches and not think, oh, they were trying to end it here because somebody was too messed up to continue, but they went another eight minutes. And this, the, the, the thing with this match is that there's so much personality on display by both guys, and like for a non-sort of classically trained wrestler, like I mean, we we've had this conversation plenty of times when it comes to our awards and like someone like Shane who's had matches at WrestleMania and King of the Ring and like he's not eligible for like our non wrestler of the year award, but he's not a wrestler in the classic sense, you know. He certainly has a lot of great matches and 
and moments that you remember, like the match with Vincent WrestleMania, and it's like their street fights and their their chaos, but they're certainly entertaining and on in the moment. And I think they just pushed it too far in this one. And even before they sprawl up the brawl up the aisle way, and before we get to that, you have um the stuff in the ring is like perfectly entertaining and displays a lot of the personality like the arrogance of angle rightly so because he's an olympic gold medalist former world champion in there with shane mcmahon doing the amateur wrestling stuff and and shane like to me they they didn't do enough to sort of emphasize that this is angle's third match of the night but and and he didn't come out of those matches beaten down enough as you said that the idea with rhino would have probably salvaged a lot of that but the idea of this being a street fight was that Shane didn't outwork him for a single second for this. Shane just kicked him in the guts when he was down and hit him in the head with still things. Like that was it. Like I can, I can believe that in a street fight, Shane McMahon with a trash can lid can, can get the upper hand over Kurt Angle because while Kurt's being arrogant and just destroying this guy and getting into amateur wrestling positions, um, Shane's just going to, get dirty with it because that's what the 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 rules allow in this in this format you know um so you had all of that then you had the insanity and then you had the finish which in itself was just like a, a highly memorable spot and i just think yeah the best part of 30 minutes was was probably 10 too long and and probably like as soon as they'd brought up the aisle way I mean, you still probably had 10, 12 minutes of the match left and a large part of that was spent with both men down or or just like they were up in that glass for a long time doing not a lot where Shane was just down, Angle was holding his tailbone and and like he was clearly selling the effort it took to get Shane back to that ring. But how much of that was born of the fact that he believed that he got a broken tailbone at that moment and he was desperately trying to get through the last 10 minutes of this match on pay-per-view um yeah i i don't know what i what i feel about this because at the moment it was just enthralling in the moment sorry it was enthralling but breaking it down like detail for detail and it's 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 difficult With that in the books, we move on to our main event, the triple threat match between Stone Cold Steve Austin defending his WWF title against both Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit in a triple threat match. Uh, we get a video package showing the storyline so far, the uh, infamous tag on Raw where Hunter tore his quad, uh, Linda making this main event match, and Austin costing Jericho and Benoit their tag titles. Austin comes to the ring last. He's looking over his shoulder in hope of seeing Vince. He hesitates, so Benoit and uh, Jericho both jump him he tries to escape into the crowd but they attack him and send him to the ring Austin attacks Benoit as he rolls back inside but Jericho's back in and they uh, double team Austin some more uh, they insist on delivering boots to Austin to fight the fact that he's barely selling it uh, Jericho goes for a cover but Benoit drags him off which allows Austin to hit a double clothesline he dodges a spinning heel kick from Jericho and this then hits Benoit. Jericho then decides to turn on Benoit and beats him down in the corner. Uh, meanwhile, Austin is uh, exposing a turnbuckle in the corner. 
Jericho goes uh, for the walls of Jericho on Austin, but Benoit breaks it up and then back suplexes him over the top rope. Benoit and Austin go at it in the ring, with Benoit having the advantage initially, uh, attempting a crossface, but Austin's able to scramble to the ropes. Austin takes control after sending Benoit into the steel steps, but Jericho's still down on the outside. Austin Austin sets up for a stunner, uh, but Benoit shoves him uh, forward, knocking down Hebner. Benoit hits a stunner on Austin, but Hebner is slow to get to the counter and Austin kicks out. Benoit gets the title and hits Austin in the head with it while the ref is still groggy. He goes to the cover, but Jericho returns to break it up and throws Benoit outside. Uh, They brawl outside and Jericho catapults Benoit into the ring post. Austin attempts the walls of Jericho on Jericho, but Jericho is able to spin out of it. Jericho attempts the walls himself, but Austin's able to get to the ropes. Austin uh, Austin, uh, continues control off the match with a double leg spine buster he gets some more punches in and then the sleeper Jericho fights his way out of the sleeper and eventually hits a flying forearm on Austin and a uh, springboard missile drop kick on Benoit as he climbs up onto the apron he sets up for the line sort but Austin gets his knees up and hits a Lufez press with some punches Benoit comes back in this time he's got a chair Austin ducks and the ducks the shot and Benoit hits Jericho with a hard chair shot Austin hits a stunner on Benoit, who then rolls out of the ring. Austin gets a cover on Jericho, but he kicks out. Austin hits two superplexes on Jericho. He goes for a third, but Benoit comes in and hits five German suplexes on Austin before Austin hits a a mule kick low blow. All three men are down. Jericho and Austin get up, and Jericho puts Austin in the walls. Benoit then puts Austin in the crossface while he's in the walls. We've seen this combination before, but nonetheless, still really cool. Austin taps out, but the referee weighs it off as both men can't win the title. Jericho runs at Benoit and puts and Benoit puts him in the crossface. Jericho rolls out of it and tries to apply the walls, uh, but Benoit lands some punches to the head to, to avoid the attempt. Austin attempts to get a chair, but Benoit baseball slides into him as he tries to enter the ring. Uh, Jericho then throws Benoit over the top rope to the outside, and we have everyone down again. Suddenly, Booker T appears from the crowd. He puts a beating onto Austin. He hits scissors kick and then uh, backdrops Austin through the Spanish announce table before being chased away by security. Back in the ring, Benoit hits a couple of German suplexes on Jericho until he uh, counters into the walls, but Benoit gets to the ropes. Benoit drops Jericho and goes for a diving headbutt, but Jericho throws him off the top, hits a bulldog and a lion salt, but only gets two. Jericho and Benoit take a tumble to the outside. Jericho recovers and uh, drive the lid of the announcer's table into Austin's back a few times before rolling him into the ring. Jericho goes up top and hits a moonsault, but Benoit drags him from the cover and throws him out the ring. Benoit then hits a diving headbutt on Austin, but Jericho drags the referee away. Uh, Benoit hits a back body drop from the top rope on Jericho and grabs his neck uh, as he's on the mat and is that's the spot where he is uh, now legitimately hurt and has aggravated a pre-existing injury. Austin crawls into the cover, drapes an arm over and gets the free in what felt like an anticlimactic finish, but uh, with with the benefit of hindsight and, and learning about um, what what happened with Benoit um, makes perfect sense. Eric, what did you make of that main event? Oh, that was just, there was so much that happened there. He did a great job with that, with that summary. I can't imagine how many pages that was. I mean, this was a busy, busy 
half an hour. Um, yeah, I thought the match was, when I first watched it, I thought it was a little bit slow, and I thought maybe it dragged a little bit. And I think the first half of it kind of did. And I think what you saw was three guys, uh, one of them with a bad injury going into it that, as you say, like, by the end of this match was, was clearly bothering Benoit. And then Jericho's been banged up, as everybody is, and then Austin, you know, coming into this match with his chronic issues. And then by the end of it, having been uh, knocked pretty good by Booker T., I think you saw three guys kind of knowing what they had in front of them and kind of structuring a match that by the end of it, and in fairness to them on a rewatch, uh, flowed a lot better than it did at the time. So it made sense to me uh, why they kind of paced it that way, because the last 10 or 15 minutes of this was pretty good. Um, Three-way match, so you know there's going to be a lot happening. Um, But when you have three guys who just know what they're doing so well as Benoit and, and Jericho and Austin... Uh, and particularly Benoit Austin, just master technicians uh, of the ring. Um, you knew this match was going to be well worked. It was going to be relatively cohesive as much as a match like this can be. Um, and, you know, probably would, you know, have some ups and downs and twists and turns. Um, and the addition of Booker T was good. And apparently he was quite rough on Old Stone Cold. Um, Austin thought maybe he'd broken his hand when he was put into the table. Booker was accused of being a little bit reckless and excited. I guess that was all quelled uh, a couple of days later, but um, yeah, so you had that, that element as well. And then, you know, kind of the strange ending with Booker T coming down ostensibly to cost Austin the title so that Jericho or Benoit can take it to WCW, but Austin still wins. And, you know, like you say, the finish is kind of flat. I like the occasional like flat kind of out of the, out of, out of the norm of exciting pay-per-view finishes uh, because it does add an element of realism. Like a match like this probably should end when one guy just gets a pinky on top of the other guy who neither of them can really move otherwise. And, and that's what happened here. I was fine with it. And Austin has to win. So you don't want the heel winning in some exciting fashion. So like, I don't know what you're supposed to do here. I thought it was good. Um, and I really advise, you know, anybody who thought I've seen other people criticize this match as being a little bit slow and being a little bit long. Uh, and that was my criticism as well. But if you have an opportunity to rewatch it, it really, it really uh, rewatches well. Um, and I, I have no issues with the finish. Uh, I just, you know, there, there is that kind of elephant in the room of WCW again, kind of with its pants down, sending its best guy in to take out the world champion, and the world champion still ends up winning the triple threat match against two guys who are not for blood. So, other than that, kind of very obvious criticism. I thought this match was 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 really good. And considering Austin's ongoing limitations and Benoit's limitations going into the match, I think it, on that scale, they overperformed. Yeah, I thought this went way too long. Um, in that, I felt just maybe some of the pacing was a bit off. And I noted the issue with Booker T's interference. Like, he's there to effectively you would guess cost Austin the title and then that would play into the the rumors that either one of Benoit or Jericho would defect WCW while holding the WWF title but like he didn't do that and yeah he was chased away by security but maybe he could have I don't know been like in storyline why would you not interfere at more inopportune moment like than that um and that's an issue in itself um we know the answers and it's because one austin is not losing the title and two 
the the first thing that happens in this wrestling war is not that WCW are going to have ownership of the WWF title. Um, but yeah, it was a cool way to introduce Booker T. It was definitely a surprise for the crowd. Um, I, but I don't think it really added anything to it. But that's kind of like the negatives out of the way. Um, but there was just so much to love here. Um, and Austin working with these two guys was really just on paper, just a really cool matchup in a pay-per-view main event of a big show, you know, and we just had some great spots. Like I loved the sequence. It was like Austin with the two suplexes and then taking five Germans immediately afterwards from Benoit. It was just like stuff like that. It's like, that's the kind of stuff that will elevate Benoit and Jericho to winning the WWF title. They've both been sniffing around it for on and off for a long time now. And obviously Benoit's going to have some time away, but when he comes back, like this is the type of match and performance and those type of spots with Austin are what are going to make the Federation put the belt on him in the future when he's back and when he's healthy. So let's hope he surgery goes well, he recovers well, and then he's back as quickly as possible, as healthy as possible, you know? Um, yeah, I think this is like a really good, like WWF brawl style Austin main event um, that benefited greatly from having two other people in there so that every time, every so often Austin could take a, take 30 seconds, take a breather, go down and we could get some fast pace like Benoit, Jericho back and forth. And, and then one of them would rotate out just the format of having that triple threat in this type of match adds an element to it because there's just less, less moments of breathers where everyone's down and the people rotate in and out and it, and it feels like more of a constant action um, type, type match really. Um, I think this was a definitely a, a worthy main event, and uh, I think this was a, a really good way to end the show, despite the finish maybe falling a little flat for for obvious reasons. Eric, your overall thoughts on uh, this show and a score rating out of ten, because that is King of the Ring in the books. It is um, tough show to grade. I think in that. I think we can agree there was there were no standout wrestling matches, um, and those those tend to be the ones that really for me elevate a show. Um, and really, there were no. I mean, the main event was good. Uh, I think we both agree it was probably a little bit too long. Um, Edge and Angle probably was you know for a King of the Ring final was perfectly serviceable, but I think those two given five more minutes and, and maybe a more prominent spot without less storyline uh, needing to be uh, served in the middle of the show could probably have done better. And Edge and, and X-Pac, and I'm just laying out my kind of like general criticisms here. Um, uh, Jeff Hardy and, and X-Pac, definitely a, a dull spot for me. And then the whole Undertaker and Page thing. But on the other hand, like we're breaking this down, you know, kind of point by point. But I have to be very fair that when I watched the show, you know, while the DDP thing, you know, stuck out to me like a sore thumb, his selling and that, and that whole arrangement. And while I was disappointed with Jeff Hardy and X-Pac at the time, and even when I felt like the main event was too long. The show flew by, and it was an enjoyable watch, and it was a cohesive show. So it was kind of a show that was greater than the sum of its parts. 
And I think sometimes when we break these things down kind of segment by segment, match by match, the flaws maybe carry a little bit more weight than kind of the overall presentation of the show. Um, I, I do need to be fair and say that like the Kurt Angle, Shane McMahon stuff continuing on after Shane, you know, was clearly uh, or apparently injured, should have been you know, injured, um, was a little bit much for me. And that whole the whole wrestler, non-wrestler thing with Shane always takes me out of it. But his matches are always entertaining to watch at least one time live in the moment. So you can't take that away from him. A lot of things swirling around here. And I think where I rest here, uh, I'm right in between here. And maybe if, if you give your grade and we need a consensus, I'll change mine. But I think I, I just have to give this like a, I'm going to say a 6.5. And, I, you know, it could have gone as high as a 7.5, maybe even a 7. Um, but I think looking at the show holistically through all the filters that we put it through, I think I landed a, as, at a reluctant 6.5. It, it should have been higher. Yeah, I thought this was a pretty good show overall. Um, the the worst thing on the show was the DDP stuff, which we've broken down in excruciating detail. Um, Kurt Angle really stood out with his three performances, two good matches, and then the street fight, which was uh, a great car crash, I suppose. Um, one of the wildest matches I remember covering on this show up there with the aforementioned hand on a cell and the I quit and uh, pretty scary to watch out points and thank God both of them got through it as well as they did. It's memorable, but it's the kind of thing that you just don't want to see again. Um, I've, I've heard Foley tell, I think the story of how Vince treated him after the, he went backstage in 98 and he basically said thank you but like thank you for all you've done for this company but you're never doing anything like that again and like <laughs> Vince is evidently not a man of his word because it was a few short months later that Foley was taking those chair shots at the Royal Rumble you know and uh, we get stuff like this with his son no less um, but ultimately um, despite grievances over sort of safety and and how frequent stuff like this happens within wrestling i was like completely glued to my tv watching that match and then i thought the main event too was very good i came down at a seven out of ten for this which i think is probably overall about fair i think we're very similar on how we enjoyed this show um definitely has its weak moments or weak spots on it but this is a decent show there's nothing here that you absolutely have to go out of your way to see um you know what you're getting into if you sit down to watch angle versus shane which you could call must see but not for reasons being that it's a like excellent wrestling match it's it's more of one of those sort of car crash spectacles with some insanity thrown in so if that's your kind of thing then you'll find it here if you want a really good main event you'll find it here and if you want just a good solid undercard sort of top to bottom decent work rate good matches guys who know what they're doing you'll find that here too um seven out of ten wow billy you sound like a human vacuum cleaner managing to both suck and blow at the same time 
And Billy, since you're not really doing anything lately, I was wondering if you could do me a favor. If in two years' time at the King of the Ring, I'm not defending a title or even in a match, and my very special assignment is to go to WWF New York and eat a meatball sandwich, then please, just shoot me in the head. 1999 is so two years ago, and it's not my fault if you've done a big pile of nothing since then. Wow. That doesn't give you the right to come out and rain on my parade. And Commissioner, I vow to you that I will not Billy Gunn this King of the Ring title. <laughs> because Billy, I plan on being entertaining. Eric, just to round off the month, I thought we could just have a another discussion about kind of like what we've seen on TV um, regarding the invasion so far, which really started to heat up the night after King of the Ring on that Raw, which was live from Madison Square Garden. And Vince opened the show with a promo. He was bragging about Austin still being WWF champion despite the interference of Booker T. He pondered what the T stands for. Terrible, trash, maybe even troglodyte. Vince suggests that it might mean temporarily employed because he intends to put all of WCW back out of business. He uh, speaks about how MSG is like significant within WWF history and uh, he swears that a WCW guy will never set foot into it, never has and never will. Um, so he sort of builds into what happens throughout the night which we get the following things involving WCW wrestlers. Mike Awesome makes a surprise appearance. He nails Rhino backstage with a two by four, hits an awesome bomb onto a ladder and wins the hardcore title. DDP, although not affiliated with the invasion, turns up again and he attacks the Undertaker with a chair, taking him out and ripping out some of Sarah's hair extensions. We later cut to WWF New York where Shane interrupts proceedings. He tells us that WCW will be invading the WWF and putting Vince out of business. He introduces Booker T as the man who will leave the charge and Booker calls out Austin. We get some great backstage segments throughout this Raw, um, which are just magnificent with, with Austin and Angle and Vince. Um, at this point, Vince tells them both to get to WWF New York. And by the time they arrive, they hear that Shane and Booker have already left. Austin cuts an angry promo from WF New York, but live at MSG, Shane and Booker turn up and attack Vince. And Vince goes after Booker with a right hand, but Booker hits some strikes of his own and lays Vince out with an axe kick. The, the uh, sort of entire WWF locker room, or at least the mid-card and lower, uh, charge down to Vince's aid, uh, but yeah, Booker and Shane... The WWF heat locker room. The heat locker room, indeed, yeah. Charge down to uh, Vince's aid. Booker and Shane bail. JR screams that the battle lines have been drawn. Eric, our resident WCW expert, is this what you envisioned for the the, the invasion of the WWF? Like, what is Booker T leading the charge? Um, I think he's a great guy to have, like, in the upper echelons of the WCW side of the, the war, I suppose. But what did you just make of this final roar of the month and how that sort of leads into the invasion which will kick off really properly in july this almost feels like they started the nwo with mike rotunda 
and six and then brought in Scott Hall after a while and then like still hadn't brought in Nash, but they have Bischoff and like it 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 wouldn't have worked uh in that way. And I think what we have here and like fair play to the to the Fed because the last visual on Raw we get um this month is Booker T giving an axe kick to Vince McMahon. So they're clearly trying to give Booker T the the rub against Vince McMahon here and make Booker T seem like he belongs. So that's that's good. And I like that because for a long time over on the WCW show, um, and it finally happened on like the literal last day of the company, uh, Booker T, we were saying, should have had the rocket strapped to his back a long time ago. Now, will he be given that opportunity to succeed in the WWF that we have so far been skeptical about when we talk about guys like DDP? Um, I don't know, but I think they're trying with the guys they have. I just don't know that they have the guys that they need to pull this off. So then what do you do? So, I mean, there's not even that many guys anymore in the WWF that would affiliate themselves with WCW. Like there aren't really any WCW and maybe I'm wrong here, Chris, but are there any like quote unquote WCW guys who are in the WWF? Like in the WCW, we'd always talk about, oh, there's WWF guys in WCW. But I don't think that even works. So there aren't a ton of guys that you could even like pull from the existing WWF side to say you're you're going to go with WCW. I think Benoit and Jericho and those guys would have been in Guerrero would have been decent candidates for that, except for they publicly like stated how much they hated WCW for the last three years or whatever. So there's really nobody in the WWF that you can pull to even out the, the sides. And so then what do you do? So I think they're trying their best with Booker T and the guys they have available. And they're clearly building some steam and some momentum. And again, like we talked about with even somebody as low down the card as Spike Dudley, even just affiliating somebody like Booker T with Austin shows that he kind of belongs somewhere on the card. But I think they have a lot of work to do to sell a credible pay-per-view that's supposed to represent in some way this WCW invasion against the WWF. So I, I need to see a little bit more before I'm I'm anywhere close to excited about what's to come. The only guy I could really think think about with roster and who you've got and in in that the WWF as we've discussed is like a little bit thin on the ground towards the top. You could you could flip the Big Show right back and just make him a giant again. I suppose like he's I mean I'm not going to miss the, him. Would, would he be the gianter now? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that, like, but then that involves him being involved in a high-profile storyline. So I'm not, I'm not advocating that. Okay, uh, I was gonna say, be, be careful with what you wish for. Yeah, because even like, I mean, is there a guy in the WWF who regular WWF viewers who, who used to be in WCW, who regular WWF viewers don't like know, like hate their time in WCW, like. Austin has been very vocal about it. Uh, all the all the Eddie and, and, and those guys that we talked about have been very vocal about it. Waltman's been very vocal about it. Like everybody's talked about how much they hate WCW. So even though they have a lot of guys who were once in WCW, they don't have anybody to affiliate with WCW. So uh, you know, I need to see a few more surprises. It, it's rough. Yeah, it's not. It feels like I don't know. Uh, we've managed to whittle down the wwf versus wcw conflict to another mcmahon family drama already haven't we 
like it's just Vince v Shane again like and it's just Vince has a guy who he likes on his side and Shane has a guy who he likes on his side and then those guys will wrestle but ultimately the big match will be Vince versus Shane for like ultimate control or something like that you know um and you can kind of just plug and play everyone else around them because they're going to be the main characters of this story because even like to a degree like like aside from the fact that Booker T attacked him and and obviously he went to WWF New York because Vince asked him to but like this Stone Cold Steve Austin character could give a shit about WCW like oh yeah he's got his belt he doesn't care whether they're invaded he doesn't he's not going to be like one of these like super pro wwf guys in character is he he's just going to be he 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 i don't know he'll do vince's bidding for now because he's got the belt but i I don't know how he fits maybe that's the tension maybe the tension is vince has to convince austin to fight for the wwf and uh, you know, otherwise he gets his ass kicked. But even then, still, even without Austin, the WWF and all these other guys, the WWF side is still markedly stronger than, you know, what we've seen as far as what the WCW side might look like. It's like, we've booked an invasion and we hope somebody will come. Like, <laughs> it's, So then it brings me back full circle to the top of the show. Obviously, we've got Shane in this spot, but like, is this not where Ric Flair would just be invaluable? Like, oh, you have to have to the general oh, yeah yeah yes and like you don't and like he's obviously not the owner or whatever but like have him there with shane you know and don't make him like shane's lackey have, have like yeah he's like shane's captain like you know like uh, or like or like the the, the hesh to his tony soprano yes like there's there's just a there's a huge opportunity there Goldberg's a whole other element that is more complicated, but that's depending on what you want to do with this. That's that's at any point I feel like if this invasion's like in two months' time, like dead in the water, you can almost fix all of the mistakes you've made to that point with the invasion. If Goldberg shows up on Raw and Spears, don't call Steve Austin, like wearing a WCW shirt. You know, yeah. like, not that I think that's a likely outcome. That's a pipe dream. But, like, it's kind of like a, an ace in the hole for the WWF in that they can do what they're doing now. It doesn't look promising. We're rightly skeptical. And I look forward to a month's time when we hear <laughs> what's happened on this podcast, you know, and hear the guys break it down. Um, but regardless of what's happened, it's salvageable because you've got guys out there that you can bring in like if you bring in flair and steiner and i don't know hall like earlier than you intended or or, or whatever like it was just having those three is is just more than you got booker that's like uh, you you need to put the ddp stuff in the bin immediately and have him come back as actual diamond dallas page from wcw and then he can make a valuable contribution to this storyline rather than what he's doing now um you've got mike awesome there like you, you're gonna need like you need your 
sort of main event invaders and your mid-card invaders. And obviously he's got the hardcore belt, so we know where he's at at the moment. Um, there's like enormous amounts of skepticism, but it's just something that I feel like it could go so right. <laughs> but it's like, it just feels so far away from that being a reality, you know? Yeah, it's it's starting to it's almost ironically, it's almost as if I felt after all of those WCW shows wherein they would just give you enough of a glimmer of optimism to think, oh, this is going to be or a glimmer of hope to, to see some optimism. And you think, oh, this is going to be good. Then inevitably it would just be the worst characterization and the worst version of whatever you thought might be good. And I don't think I have more faith in the WWF to put something together that's at least passable. But it's that same feeling of optimism, despite what all of my instincts are telling me about what's coming. And I think on that note, that's a good place to leave the June 2001 WWF edition of this podcast. Well, not even the WWF edition, just this podcast these days, isn't it? Um, And with a healthy amount of skepticism and, and curiosity, I suppose, about where things stand and looking into july and and awaiting further developments because there's a lot of ways this could go and i think we're rightly skeptical and i think we've kind of like we've covered the month extensively and and this is a, a good end point so eric thank you very much for being on the show it's always a blast doing shows with you and hearing your great takes and analysis as always so thank you very much oh you're gonna make me blush i appreciate that <laughs> yeah it was good you know, you know, there was a burnout factor after a year and a half of, of WCW. Uh, well, a year, really, but you can extend that out a little bit. Uh, but happy to be back. Happy to be uh, watching shows and, and wrestlers and characters that are generally good. <laughs> uh, and, and things that generally don't leave me scratching my head at the end of the day. Um, and really good time. And I, and I messaged you to say I was very grateful that we had such a good month of television here. And a, and, a, and a good, if not very good, pay-per-view um, after the last bit of WCW that I've been doing. So you did a great job, Chris, as always, professional, ready to go, keep me in, keep me in line, keep things moving. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to see where this where this goes. I don't, I we're out of time machine mode right now, and I really have very little memory of of, of the details of all of uh, what's to come. So. I'll be watching this in time machine mode, but it'll be probably a lot of it new to me as we go along at this point. And uh, to you, dear listener, um, thank you very much for listening and sticking with us uh, as we sort of traverse the new wrestling landscape of 2001 and uh, the invasion and so much of what could have been and and what was and (laughs) how that plays out and uh, we're going to cover it all for you here and the good, the bad, and there's a lot of bad and there's a lot of good, you know, um, and this is the place to find it. So thank you very much for listening. As always, I have been your host, Chris White, and until next time, goodbye. <laughs>